0: Ha 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 ha. Crazy. Yeah. So at least with, if I
1: just use sound, I can give the illusion of like, I'm high quality and professional and, and, and that, but with, but like with video, i need like a studio and like background and good quality. It's just, and I don't, I don't make and enough no, money for this to, to, to be. To no, it.
0: it's, it's not just that, but it's smart too, because,
1: yeah. um, you
0: know, in my line of work, for example, now I have my own production company and I'm making my own content for my website too. Mm -hmm. And, um, guess what camera I use for filming?
1: I use the iPhone. The iPhone?
0: Yeah, I use an iPhone as a film because it makes 4K videos. And you know what? I have made much more in terms of money, in terms of everything, you know? Um, Instead of investing in lights, I don't use that. I use natural light. Okay, I have to work more. Um, I cannot do it anytime I want to. But, you know, just, uh, still, I'm, uh, putting in less to get at the maximum, you know? Um, yeah,
2: yeah.
0: That's the way to do it now, you know? Why, if you could save a, a lot, why would you invest so much money into camera, into into like, uh, and it also look doesn't look that good either, I think, you know, because it yeah. looks sort of like fake. And this is why I, I, I prefer podcasts that look professional, but don't give me the feeling that I'm in a clinical setting. Yeah, um, yeah. Because I then agree. I completely... Tune off, cause I'm like, uh, you know what? This is same old. When I, if I can say this bullshit, um, and it takes away the attention from the actual topics. Yeah. Um. So it's it's good anyway to do it this way. I think so. And I've seen some of your podcasts actually in the past, cause um before you know, um I was very much involved <laughs> with the atheist community. Um, and you know i've been traveling and working so much that i didn't ha- i haven't had that much time to interact and discuss um, some of these topics um uh, but yeah I've, I've seen your um rise as well your success and i have to say hats off to you
1: thank you yes mina that's so sweet
0: yeah because i was like wow lala you have an, a lot of followers and all these interactions you have with all these different types of people, I have to say, wow, you have patience.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it does take a lot of patience. <laughs> but, you know, we I don't know. I wasn't taking it as seriously, like, because it, it was like three years ago. We got online about the same time, didn't we? Yeah,
0: 2014,
2: actually. 2014, yeah. So I should, I should yeah.
1: introduce, like, I'll start already and I'll, I'll introduce you. Um, so I'm speaking with Yasmina Ali. And yeah. Yasmina... Yeah. We we have known of each other for almost 4 years now, but I don't think we've ever spoken one on one.
0: Uh no actually. Yeah, we've we've had like exchanges, yeah. tweets um but somehow I think we wanted to and um we just I don't know, we just didn't have the opportunity, I think.
1: Yeah, I mean also like when we first met, it was we we were in this very messy group where there was a lot of chaos and drama and it was I I still I don't know about you but I wasn't taking it as seriously back then when we first met. So I kind of wanted to do something like more professional down the road and you know have this podcast. And then I've seen you also evolve you know through through Twitter and it's been interesting (laughs) you know following you. Yeah I know right I know to to where you are today so and i've kind of seen it right like i've seen you just like first like starting using social media and you and you also started seeing me using social media when i was just you know messing around more we were
0: were babies yeah Yeah, we we were were babies babies. (laughs) online
1: we both saw each other evolve, so that was kind of fun but i've seen you like now grow into the this you know i i mean what you do now you also do so professionally and you're you're in it but so you know let's let's move down the road but i want to you know know your story but way back before i met you right yes. from the beginning i want to know your 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 whole story if i can is that okay
0: yes yeah that's okay. okay um well you know my story would take hours to explain but i would try to really um
1: don't, let's say don't cut, condense it down. It, don't cut it down too much though because i'm gonna have a lot no, of questions not too
0: much. <laughs> i know i know but if yeah. you have any questions please go ahead um okay. it's just that you know my story is quite complex.
2: Right.
0: Um, there are all these different factors and there's so, um, so much, so much. I have a lot of experience that I, that helps me now, of course, and I can help other people with. Um, but it's just, I don't think it will, I'll be able to finish talking about it in one podcast, but I'll do my best. Um, but I will start right from the beginning, from the time I was born. <laughs> I think that's the easiest part to start from. Um, well, I'm actually from Afghanistan. I was born in Kabul in 93. And, um, you know, around this time, the Taliban, um, were taking uh, control over the country. And so girls were banned from school. You know, there was a lot of chaos, um, in Afghanistan. Um, also, you know, for the past 20, 30 years, there's only been like civil war, basically. And, um, so I grew, I was born in a very bad time um and i had seen the way religion manifested itself in such a society you know my parents um are both educated so it's not like they're from some town somewhere and they have no idea about what's going on in the world they're very educated university educated my father is a doctor my mother studied nursing so you know i i grew up with a very educated background um so yeah i was i was born there and when I was around nine years old, um, we left. So me, uh, my mother and my siblings, because my father had already left before, like two, three years before. We left for the UK and um, we went to Iran. And from Iran, uh, we went to, um, to England. And uh, so I didn't wear a hijab at that time uh, because in Afghanistan, if you're a little girl, you don't look like a teenager. If you don't have breasts, let's say uh or curves um basically you don't look like a woman they characterize a woman by the like how big she is basically it's crazy uh can you hear me
1: yeah yeah i'm just letting you go and so and and so when it comes to the hijab what they're looking for is like the shape of your body to cover up basically
0: Um, well, you know, I just wanted to go into that. That's an interesting question. Mm -hmm. Um, so basically in Afghanistan, I did not wear the hijab,
2: um,
0: because I was seen as a child, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: um, like I was six, seven years old. Um, and, and even at nine, I looked quite young. I was very slim. I didn't look older for my age. I looked very young for my age. Um, so I didn't have to wear the hijab, but of course I couldn't just walk around wearing shorts or, or anything to show my, I couldn't show my legs, but still, you know, the wind was in my hair and I could still run around and play, even though I wasn't allowed to go to school. But as a child, you don't really think about these things, you know, um, you don't really say, oh, you know, why aren't we, uh, you don't really think of the bad aspects. You, you wonder what's happening, but you can't put your finger on it um and as soon as we came to the uk we had to wear the so the hijab was forced on me by my parents
1: um so can i ask you like your your parents were pretty religious this this um, even though they were educated people uh,
0: this is why also i thought it would be interesting to go into this too um, my parents weren't that religious in the beginning uh because they grew up in communist afghanistan so um they believed of course um they prayed um but they didn't pray five times a day you know um it was sort of like now and then or whenever they could but it wasn't like oh you have to pray um they like my parents were religious but not not radical you know um so it was sort of like culturally religious um and not religiously religious you know i don't know how to how yeah. to put it i, I
1: keep into running words. into um to westerners who are shocked to always when they find out that there are any muslims who are communists in the middle east <laughs> historically wow, really? you know, yeah yeah some, some people have no idea that <laughs> they think the combination of communist and muslim m- must be impossible but you know com- actually in especially during this time like in Between the 70s, 80s, and early 90s, there was very big communist movements in a lot of the Middle Eastern countries.
0: Yeah, that's... uh, You know, the thing is, um, there are certain aspects of communism that works with Islam. Just the only thing, part, that doesn't work is the atheism part. Um, But, you know, it's sort of this community, this sort of ummah mentality, um, and the social... I'm not saying that it's a good aspect of Islam, but there are certain aspects that religions can easily use um to their advantage and my parents grew up in this time uh, and my mother didn't wear the hijab when she was growing up so she only wore it later on uh like in her adulthood like by adulthood I mean when she was married like at the age of 19 or so but before that she did not wear the hijab because she didn't have to wear the hijab um and my father too you know he didn't have a beard or anything like that you know he was very Uh, sort of like easygoing man, but he got radicalized, I think in a prison when he was arrested for, um, protesting against actually the government, um, the communist government. So can you believe it on one side, my father wasn't religious, but he was protesting against, uh, uh, a government that wasn't so religious. Um, and so, you know, when they came to the UK, they started turning more religious um, because there was a conflict of culture, conflict of everything, you know? And um, they, I think, they started to isolate themselves from the rest of the, uh, the, the environment, uh, enforcing their beliefs on their children. Um, and they held on to these dark beliefs um, because they, they're in a stranger's land, you know? I, this, I think it's a phenomenon that ha- happens um, with... Immigrant backgrounds that when the parents come over, they turn more Catholic than the Pope.
1: You know, right? Can um, I can I ask you there? Did um when when you say they became more religious and they weren't integrating as much, did they? Did you see that they were doing it to also integrate more with the Muslim community that there was?
0: You know, when we came, there wasn't much of a Muslim community, um, so we came to East London. And uh, in East London, there were, of course, some Indian families and some Pakistani families, but they were for generations there. So it wasn't that they just came immediately. Um, so we were basically refugees. Um, and uh, there wasn't much of a community because where we were living, you know, the school that I went to, um, basically, I was the only girl in the entire school wearing a hijab. This was in two thousand uh, late 2002, basically.
1: So, so um, was it then to um, then it wasn't to integrate into a Muslim community. Was it then more an identity aspect that this is the Islam is more what makes like for our identity? Our identity. Yeah. So, was that an identity issue that they became more religious in in England?
2: Um,
0: I think that, and also, you know, for the first time, they you're conflicted with a different uh, environment than what you know. Even no matter if you grew up in communist Afghanistan, but look. You meet people from different religions. This is not possible in Afghanistan. Uh, you meet people, you see women wearing whatever they want to, and they are afraid. You know, religious people have this fear. Um, they're very fearful, pe- uh, fear- fearful of things that they don't know, fearful of the unknown, of doubts and everything, um, and sort of clinging on to the past. That's how they felt, uh, that they identified themselves by their religion. So the first thing that I was told when I went to school was, if anybody asks you, oh, you know, um, what, who you are, why you wear the hijab and everything, just say you're Muslim. So that's how I would introduce myself, that I'm Muslim. Instead of saying, hey, my name is this, I come from this place, nice to meet you. What You know, instead of talking about what you like, I had to talk about my religion, you know. Um, and also, you know, my parents told me, when you're going to the lunch, um, to the canteen, if they give you any food, tell them no pork. Those were the few words that I had learned in English. No poor, I'm Muslim. And, um, you know, my, that's how it slowly started. And then my parents sent me to mosque with my other siblings. Um, because in the mosque was the only place that they knew they could be closer to the religion. Uh, but we got kicked out because, you know, in Afghanistan, I didn't, I didn't pray. You know, and uh, the stories of Muhammad that I heard or of Islam were more like fairy tales than actual beliefs. So when my grandmother used to tell me about Muhammad or my parent or my mother, I would just say, oh, OK, whatever. But I didn't see the connection of this man from a desert with my life in Afghanistan. As a child, I didn't see this. I didn't know the point of who, like my first question was, who is Muhammad?" You know, why is he important at all for us? um and we got we got kicked out of mosque because we asked this question
1: (laughs) that's a really basic question to get kicked out for
0: yeah i know because they thought we were making fun of the religion and even though and we didn't we didn't speak uh english much when we started going to mosque but i was curious i was like look um what the hell is this you know um somewhere in arabia i mean i've never seen this place i don't know who this guy is and i have genuine questions because you know when you never you've never been to school before also from my perspective um i I wasn't allowed to go to school so i had no idea i had no structure to my thoughts so i was very carefree basically uh with my thinking um but slowly you know uh more and more Muslim uh, families came to the same area because they heard, ah, oh, there's another Muslim family there. Why do we go there? And slowly 10 years, like 10 years later, you see like, it's the other way around. You see more, more women with the hijabs than not with hijabs. You know, it's crazy.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: so, and, and the other thing is that when you go out, you're looked down upon. People look at, stare at you. If you're wearing tight clothes, um, you know, it's just, uh, a very uh, toxic environment um so yeah, I would say my parents definitely suffer from identity uh crisis and also for from uh, they will have no control of the over their children um because in Afghanistan, you know when you have children you there they belong to you there there is this sort of uh mentality like you no know, whatever that child does, they have to do what I say. And the moment they don't, they dishonor me. So it's like this. So my parents were afraid of this. So they became even more, um, I think, even more radical in their beliefs.
1: It's interesting, like also the the switch in your identity, that you're in Afghanistan, not very religious, not in a hijab. And then you get to England and then suddenly you you have to become more religious, go to mosque and wear a hijab. So it, and it's and it's completely it. out of, of place so you it it sounds yeah it, it's it's very interesting the the evolution there
0: yeah and you know um so that mosque we were kicked out and then we were kicked out from another mosque
1: too so
0: <laughs> in terms of religious my involvement with religious wasn't so good and then slowly you know I, I had to i had no choice but to wear the hijab and i had no choice but to wear the clothes that i was told to wear like the abaya um and to wear modest clothing and um you had to wear an oh, abaya go... you had
1: to cover your face
0: uh abaya is uh basically not that's the niqab um but the abaya
1: is the complete you know the black robe yeah yeah it, it's it's one entire black robe that goes over you but doesn't it have yeah, a but face my... I, I thought uh, a abaya also had a face covering it doesn't uh,
0: uh it can actually but uh. it is not necess- not all abayas are like this oh okay uh, but Some are because, you know, when you're going to school, you kind of cover your face. So, um, Mm. out of like the rules, you know, they, my parents couldn't cover my face because they knew I would not be allowed in school. But I think if they had the option to, they would have, um, they would have said it. Um, but yeah, I had to cover my hair. You know, when I, when I went to, I mean, I was in adult school and for swimming, my parents said, uh, okay, you can go swimming, but you know, the burkini. Yeah. Uh, something like this it wasn't a burkini it was more like surfer's clothes and I wore this to a swimming class full of girls and you know we you know and you're just what 12 years old I mean there are no boys no nothing and still I had to cover up um and my I remember my P teacher saying oh why did you uh, you're coming here dressed as a surfer you know we're not going on a surfing lesson and I just laughed it off but I couldn't tell her that You know, what? I have no choice, you know, Um, and slowly, you know, the other thing is that my parents also brainwashed me in this time that although I was very uh, much of an atheist as a child, um, the older I got, the more brainwashed I became because, you know, you have this uh, prison mentality. Um, You accept your slavery because you feel like there is no way out. And you start the lies that you are being told, the more you repeat them, it turns them to truth. So this is um, the more often you the, the more you tell yourself a lie, the more you believe it. Um, and this is exactly what happened to me. So I became uh, I was brainwashed by my parents to believe in religion. Um, and I was like, yeah, you know what I have. Uh, I started believing in in, uh, in God. Not that I said there was no God before, but I just had no belief um started believing in Muhammad and then I was accepted in a mosque finally I mean at that time I was thinking finally I'm accepted because I I didn't know how to read Arabic and um everybody around me were, were uh, could read and I was sort of like uh, hey Yasmina why can't you read Arabic you're 16 years old and you can't even read you know <laughs> so I was I felt the pressure of the society so I was like okay I have to I have to learn how to read and I started reading it and I, you know, started to repeat like a mantra to myself, uh, the verses to make myself feel better. Um, and I was in this circle, you know, this vicious circle.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And um, uh, also, you know, the way I never looked at my body in the mirror, I didn't think about uh, going out or, uh, or having fun because for me it was like non-negotiable. Um, and even like fighting to go to university was a struggle because my brother didn't want me to go to university um, because he said, I'm going to be mixing with boys. Um, and I had to beg my parents. I was like, please let me go because what am I going to do? You know, um, look, you will have my timetable. They had my timetable. They knew what I was doing. They had, they would check my phone every single day. Um, I couldn't come home after five, you know? Mm-hmm. So I had to be on time. Um, I, I used to wear trousers, uh, trousers. And then my, pa- my brother said, look, you're wearing so uh, tight jeans tomorrow. You're not allowed to wear this. And as of that day, I was wearing the abaya. Um, and I felt increasingly, you know, I, I mean, I became religious from the ages of, from the age of like 12 to 18, I would say. During this period, I was religious. I was. I, I joined Twitter in 2010 um, because I felt like, oh my god, Twitter is this place uh, to meet people, discuss things, you know. And I started defending Islam.
1: <laughs> you wait. You, you first got on Twitter as an as an Islam apologist. I didn't know that. <laughs> yes,
0: actually. I, I didn't actually, know that. Actually, yes, because I started believing. I started believing um, because I was afraid. You know, the more I- religion instills fear in you I was told oh you're gonna go to hell you're gonna burn and when you tell this to like a 12 year old or from the age of nine let's say um I was afraid I was like oh my god this is gonna happen to me you know this is what I was feeling um so I was brainwashed um
2: can I ask
1: you a a question before that you said you were kind of an atheist before that but you were brought up in a religious family so how are you in, kind of an atheist? Were you just kind of naturally inquisitive and curious and skeptical or why was that? Uh,
0: yes, I, it was that because I didn't say, um, I remember, I clearly remember um, that I was actually a very curious uh, child. Um, I didn't accept, uh, accept somebody telling me a story uh, just like this um, and Also, because I don't like, you know, when I used to make dua as a child in Afghanistan, it wasn't because I believed in it. It was only because my parents told me, okay, you have to memorize this. And I just said, okay, I memorize it. But it wasn't important to me. It wasn't that I believed in it.
1: Um, Can you explain uh, dua?
0: Dua is uh, prayer. Um, The word dua means prayer. So it's like, you know, when you go to church and you start praying and you start singing the hymns and um the idea of dua is like you uh uh supplication. Um and you have to read it in Arabic. And you know in the hadith there are so many du'as and you have to can you believe it? You're expected to memorize all these different um verses. Um so I I I had memorized one or two but I can't remember now. Um but I didn't believe in them. I was like, okay, I memorized it just because I want to get this over and done with and go out and play, um, but I never genuinely believed in it. This is why I, I say I'm an atheist, because uh, I didn't say that there is no God. I just lacked a belief. Um, that's that's how I was as a child, um, and of course, I didn't tell anyone. Um, I didn't see it necessary to tell anyone. You know, um when somebody will tell me something, I'd be like, Oh, okay, but why? Um and I was seen as the smarty pants and sort of like, uh, oh, not not you again, sort of like not these questions again, you know, just memorize and that's it and be be gone with you, you know. So because I was a nuisance um as a child. Um so that's why I say I was kind of an atheist, but I, I was an atheist without knowing what atheism means. Without the label of atheism, you right. know
2: now'm
0: yeah. aware of now I'm aware of the different types of philosophy now I've made a conscious choice um you know I've processed my thoughts, but as a child, you know i didn't think of there being a creator I didn't think like when I looked at the trees and stuff i didn't think oh who created this, I just admired the beauty of the of the plants, of the uh, of the river, but I didn't once say, "Oh, God created this."
1: I didn't. I didn't think this. So you were like me but when you were really young, because I, I also, I, I was never religious, and then so it wasn't for me when I was young that I, I never had like a moment like that people talk about where they realized there no there was no God. No, I, I realized there were like when I was very young. My moment of realization was that there were people who were religious, and that to me was shocking. And, and so, in the, but yeah. I I never hold like uh, a lot of people define atheism as like real like people realizing suddenly there is no God. So they go from religious to non-religious or it's the denial of God. But uh, I mean, wh- what do you what do you call that in my case? Or, or now I realize it's your case where you I mean, you're an atheist before you even know the concept of God. And then when you know the concept, <laughs> you don't take it literally. And then you're, I was shocked that there was anybody who took it literally.
0: Yeah, you know, same here. For me, it was just some strange alien culture that's been like, you know, in Afghanistan. You know, it's quite a traditional and quite a nationalistic um, people, mm-hmm. Afghans. Um, and so, you know, as a child, okay, I don't know what being Afghan meant, but everything surrounding me, you know, there is no desert. You know, uh, there is no guy called Mohammed. There is just. I know there is a a, a so-called sacred place that you have to cover when you go and pray. And for me, that was sort of like a tradition, but I didn't know it was religion. Um, I like you basically, I, I, I think it is, this is atheism and you don't need to have the label atheism on it. Uh, for me, atheism just means lack of a belief. Like there is no evidence for me. Um, my atheism is not that I suddenly converted back, uh, converted, you know, it's, it's, Mm. it's going to be another form of belief. Then, you know, when I say I don't believe in a God, it's sort of another belief. There is no evidence for me to support a, you know, uh, omniscient being or whatever. There is no evidence. So it's like, you know, I don't, um, I don't know how to describe it actually. Um, there's not ev- there's not sufficient evidence for these claims so therefore it's irrelevant.
1: Right. And that's and,
0: how that's how I take it.
1: And when you became religious it so were you did you like Islam because it sounds like you like you were saying like you were it was kind of forced on you and was a little bit out of fear but would, did you become yeah. very religious out of like you were you enjoyed Islam and you wanted to spread Islam and you started to to, to yeah. get into it or was it only uh, uh, something you felt forced to do, which like I, I'm kind un- of not know, sure what it was.
0: To me. I, I think it's um a little bit of all actually. Um, I was forced to do it, but as a child, I, I mean, as a teenager, I didn't realize it. Uh, the older I became, the more obvious it became to me that oh my god, all these things that I've been told, and my parents are basically forcing their opinions and their views, beliefs on me. But they call it love, you know? Uh, and you know, you're conflicted. I, you know, your parents are like, if you don't love me, whatever, you know, uh, then, uh, you have to, to love me, you have to do what I say. And, you know, I, as a child and also as a teenager, I was a very peaceful person, a pacifist, I would say. Uh, I didn't harm other beings. I didn't think bad of them, you know? um as a child and so for me it was like okay i do it because why would they think bad for me you know why would they why would they do this to me because i would i would not think of doing this or instilling fears uh telling other people how to live their lives why would they tell me they cannot because they love me you know so it was sort of this denial and the other thing is that you know when you're brainwashed um you start because islam is sort of a religion that has to um uh, it's, you have to preach it. You know, you have to spread the word of Islam. That's how it works. Islam was spread by the sword. It cannot survive. Like, you know, in Judaism, you have, uh, it's, you know, there aren't that many, uh, uh, people who believe in Judaism, um, because it's sort of, it's very hard to convert to Judaism. Uh, you have to question even there, you know, you're expected to question the scripture, but this is the one thing that's lacking in Islam. You're meant to accept everything, actually. You cannot even question a single word of the Quran or the Hadith. Otherwise, you will be known uh, as a kafir, uh, as an infidel apostate, and you know the punishments um, for those, uh, for blasphemy, you know? Um, So, you, you, when you're brainwashed, you know, um, you, you, you do it because you have no, uh, you have nothing other, nothing else to live for you know for me i knew okay there's no way i will have freedom you know i'm just stuck here in this body in this life in this family in this religious environment i had nobody's going to help me this is what i thought and there's nothing else for me to fight for other than this this is because you truly start believing your own um your your weakness you know you start believing your uh, accepting your situation you start accepting your your slavery, you know, when people say, why didn't African Americans, um, uh, you know, escape or fight against? It's easy to say, but it is extremely hard to do, you know, fight against uh, their owners, the white owners, or why don't, um, you know, if you're in a domestic, uh, abuse situation, uh, in a Western society, in a European relationship, even it's very hard for those women or for those men even to leave those relationships because you are told, uh, like, you know, my parents would tell me it is my fault. I'm the one to blame. Uh, they would blame me and they will say, you know, I'm, uh, uh, you, uh, there's, nobody's going to help me, you know? And I felt helpless and I would try to blame it on me. Then I was thinking, ah, oh, maybe it is really my fault that this and this happened. or. You know maybe because I'm not believing or maybe because I'm not being religious enough that um such as such things happen you know um so you it's like you know uh some people in America when there is a hurricane they blame hurricane they blame gays um it's sort of like this so my parents would blame me or anyone who who wasn't praying enough saying oh there is we have uh a bad situation right now or it's not a good situation for us because you guys are not praying and being good, pious Muslims. And you, and I felt very loyal to my parents. I was like, you know, I don't want to cause them harm. I don't want to cause them upset. Uh, Then I will pray. So yeah, that's how, that's how I became. But you know, the older I became, the more intolerant the situation became for me as a woman, because I was expected to do the cleaning, the cooking. I was treated like a house slave. Um, my phone was checked my timetable as well i was even though i was go- I was going to a university, I couldn't mix with the opposite sex, so I couldn't even have any number of a guy on my phone
1: H- How about so the- um your your own sex? that's I kind of wanted to ask you about that even through high school and, and then later on what did your friendship circle look like? Were you able to make friends at least with other Muslim girls or did you have actually- any friends who were who were british who were not muslim at all who you could see
0: uh you know uh when i was in uh primary school you know when i started i was the only girl with a hijab so no i was uh, i had friends but they were like from a white christian background or uh from a black uh, christian background um but the the when i went to a girls school my inner circle was just uh mainly muslims and mainly those who were wearing hijabs so that was my inner circle. So, you know, I didn't have any conflicting or different views. I wasn't exposed to different views. I sort of like, you know, when you're told a lie, that lie is reinforced by other people. people believing in the same lie. Um, so my my my, my classmates will be like, Oh, by the way, have you heard this Nasheed? You know, Nasheed is a religious a religious song or have you read this chapter in the quran it's so beautiful you know and i'm sitting there and i don't know how to read arabic and you feel kind of like uh they're like ashamed because you're made to you're made to feel bad that you're not being a good muslim um so that's how you know you become even more religious in such a circle but the moment i went to university it became a little bit different um because i was exposed to really a vast number of people uh from not muslim uh, non-muslim backgrounds and um there was a guy that I did a campaign with for the representative of the year and he was an atheist actually and his mother was uh was muslim from a muslim background but she was an atheist he told me this um and I was like wow that's really interesting and I had never ever come across such a uh story you know And I was like, wow, that's really, how does that even work? You know, I didn't know it was possible to leave the religion because uh, you are told, you know, anyone who leaves the religion is a traitor, is, uh, uh, you know, uh, an infidel. They're with the Christians and the Jews and they're fighting against us. They will kill us. Uh, Don't trust them. You know, this is what I was told. So I was sort of like in the beginning, suspicious of other people. Um, as a child, not, but as a teenager, I was like suspicious of everyone thinking they're all after me, um, or they're thinking bad of me. Um, but you know, around this time when I was in university, I also fell in love. So (laughs) that's when, that's when things started to really change in my life.
1: (laughs) But, and before that, were you on, on Twitter talking about Islam, you were saying?
0: yes i was defending islam you know because i joined in 2010 and um when i left my parents home it was 2013 so three years in these three years you know i was really defending islam because i was buying everything people were telling me you know they're saying ah everybody's after muslims and there is this genocide and i was without even checking you know uh I started to really uh, believe in those things. I was like, "Oh my god, it's true!" Then what they're telling me at home, you know. And I would really go and fight with right wing
2: assholes
0: <laughs> online, uh, fighting with them for no reason at all, uh, just because I was like, "Oh my god, they, uh, that's the only weapon I have is to fight with my words." But my parents did not know I had Twitter because I knew they would disapprove, even if I was defending Islam. Um, so I actually hid it from them. Um, because I knew that if they t- find out what I'm writing about, they might not like it that I'm interacting with opposite sex, even though if it's about Islam,
1: right? And, and you know, so did they I, even know what Twitter was in 2010 though, did they, they, even- uh,
0: they, didn't know, they didn't know what Twitter was. So they found out I had Twitter, but not this Twitter. Cause I, when I was uni- in university, I had the idea of making a second Twitter account and on the second Twitter account. I mean, because my parents, my mother was like, why are you always on your phone? You know, uh, I'm, and I was like, I'm reading the news, you know, <laughs> yeah.
1: and I always in I 2010, always you tabs. could get a ar- You could get away with that. Now. No, parents will believe you. <laughs> now everybody's yeah, exactly. on to their kids.
0: I was like, you know, what? I'm reading the news and, you know, I was smart enough to have all those different tabs open. And, you know, back in the days, I don't know how it is now with Twitter on the app. Uh, I use it but I've never removed my account I've logged in and I've just you know I don't need to sign out but back then you know when you swipe from right to left you can remove your account without logging out so it was easier for me if I do swipe it you know um, my mm-hmm. parents will see oh, there's a twitter app but there's no but no account to see so I had the idea of making a second account and that was my innocent account where there was no discussions only talking about hey guys Uh, time for a coffee or going to the library, reading a book, you know, it was something innocent, no discussions, no nothing. So when they told me, I see what is this Twitter thing? You know, I was like, yes, I have a Twitter account. If you want, you can follow me. So I showed them and they were like, okay, okay. We let you off this time, you know, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: but they didn't, they wouldn't have approved of my other account, you know, of me interacting with different people, even if I was defending Islam, They even forbade me from going to a protest, uh, a pro-Palestinian protest, uh, because they said, what are women doing in such a protest? You should stay at home. So this is what my parents told me. Uh, And I was like, but you know what? You are talking about fighting for the religion, you know, and supporting people from this religion. So why aren't you going then? You know, Mm -hmm. I don't get it. So I didn't get this as well. So they, they wanted to control me both ways. Um, but on my other account, you know, I uh had really interesting discussions and stuff, and it was on this account actually that I met my um my partner. Now, I, I, basically, we're married now, uh, and we've been with each other for more than five years. It's amazing how time flies, right? He- so, we met, and yeah,
1: no, I was gonna ask, you met, did you meet him through Twitter? Yes. <laughs> Interesting. Through
0: that account, and and this way, and, you,
1: and you met wait you so you met him through that account on Twitter, and that was when you were still Muslim.
0: That was when I was still Muslim, yeah. Wow. And I was, and I knew I was kind of suspicious of him in the beginning because he had a skull as a picture, and he in his bio he had written the following: vegan, feminist, Zionist, atheist. Wow. So
2: you know. My- <laughs> wow. My
0: mind exploded, you know, because I had a discussion with some guy, right-wing guy who was basically uh, critiquing um, Islam, but I saw it as an attack on me, you know? And the guy also, the guy who I had a discussion with, he also uh, attacked me personally in the in the tweets. Um, and my partner, he had seen, his name is David, by the way, he had seen... Uh, he had come across by accident this, uh, through this discussion. He has come across this discussion that I was having. And he didn't know me, by the way. And he joined in. And he was trying to help me defend, to defend me in my arguments, you know, even though he was an atheist. But he was saying, hey, look, why are you picking on a woman? You know, sort of like this. Like, stays, um, he was telling the guy, let's not use swear words. Uh, keep, it, keep it civilized. Um, and then I attacked him. <laughs> I attacked him in the conversation. I was like, who are you coming here? Uh-huh. Uh, because I had seen, I had judged him on his bio. The moment I had seen the skull and I read Atheist Zionist, you know, my mind exploded. And I was like, what the fuck? He's an enemy. You know, this is the first thing I thought.
1: <laughs> the most radical thing there for me is the vegan part. That I see that and I, I would already be triggered today if I saw that. <laughs> I was, no,
0: but I was triggered by the Zionist and Atheist part right. more. And I was like, oh, my God, what the hell, right? What the F? And somehow we had come across each other. And we didn't follow each other immediately, by the way. Uh, So we came uh, across each other again through another discussion and another one and another one. And, you know, then there was this uh, Boston bombing. Do you remember?
1: Yeah. yeah, In 2013. Yeah. So
0: I was like, oh my God, that must be an inside job. I thought this, you know, because I, my parents were like, whenever there's a terrorist attack, my parents would always say it's an inside job and they would never blame the Muslims. And and then they would say, you know what, I'm glad they did. This is what my parents would say, you know?
1: Did they say that about the Boston oh. bombing as well?
0: Yeah, they did. They said, they, they said, you know what, uh, they were Kafirs anyway. This is what they said. They were infidels anyway, so who cares? This is how they were, you know, mm-hmm. in the open, they will never say this. That's the thing in, in your face, they won't say it, but behind closed door, they will be like, you know what? They're going to hell anyway. This is what they would say. Um, I didn't, I I was like, I didn't, I, fe- I felt like, you know what? If this is true, what they did, I can't believe they did this killing innocent people, but who knows what if they were set up? This is what I thought, you know,
1: I've heard this a um, lot. And I, and I think it, it might conf- like confuse people about I, you know the the idea that there's this double face, but I hear it so much from people who were brought up Muslim or were in Muslim families that
0: you know they that, will never tell you know, it's not
1: it's, they're not upfront about their beliefs to non-Muslims, but behind closed doors in the mosque they speak one way, very fundamentalist, very strong, and then suddenly they dumb it down or they make it more peaceful to the non-believers? Yeah, the, um,
0: you know, in, in Islam, it's permissible to not tell the truth, basically. Um, because you are basically defending, for them, it is seen as an attack on the religion. Um, so uh, for them, it's a war. It is really a war. The moment you're helping the opposition side, you are basically being disloyal, a traitor. So what do you have to do? Whatever it takes to hide the intentions, you have to do. This is—it's sort of like um, you are a warrior. You are, you know, um, a soldier of this religion. Um, so that's you. You can you can tell a lie. Um, you're allowed to actually. Uh, so this is what my parents would say. And they would tell me not to tell anyone in, in university my views or anything or what I'm thinking out loud. Because they said, oh, maybe the Masada are there.
1: You know? Maybe the Masada are there. Yeah. yeah.
0: Or the CIA. And I was like, but who would care about you? Tell me. Like, you know." I was thinking, why would they, why wouldn't what I think be so important, you know? And, so, <laughs> and anyway, not only that, but this paranoia, you know? Uh, it's it really mentally kills you. Um, you cannot be happy always being paranoid about your best friend. Let's say your friend was Christian and you always have this paranoia. What if there's tomorrow, you know, where he betrays me or uh, then he will show his true colors, you know. You can never trust somebody who's not a Muslim. Um, you live with this, you know. And for my parents were like this too. So with this, you know, whenever there was a bad uh, not, when whenever there was like a bombing or something you know my parents would say ah oh, look um, they were like that's not they're not real Muslims at first they would say you know what uh, they would not no real Muslims and I was like but you know they just declared their faith, you know um, then my father would say yeah um, you know they attack us uh, in Afghanistan Iraq so we can do you know what it's illegitimate in Islam to do jihad um, but he would never tell his views outside, you know. Um, so they actually condoned um, those acts uh, without op- without being open about it.
2: It's it's,
1: um, it's and- interesting about the dynamic there about terrorism that they they would say that the the terrorists they're not real Muslims and it, it, they would disconnect from the terrorists and that might be the. The voice that they express to the larger community. But then there's the second part where it's, well, but even if they were, they had it coming and they're, they're the infidel and they, they've attacked us. In, in Afghanistan. So there's all this extra layer on it that people might not assume is the thinking yeah. of people when they hear that's not real Islam, these people are not really Muslim.
0: It is real Islam, you know, and even my um my parents would say, ah, you know, and it's not just that, but you, you know, in the mosque they tell you about they, uh, the Mohammeds, uh, basically, genocidal conquest. Um, They don't term it this way, but they say it's good, you know, they teach you about the different wars that Mohammed led, um, about all these different things. And imagine telling this, can you imagine um, the impact it has on you uh, growing up? Why do you think so many people are, uh, so many, um, you know, when you look at ISIS, a lot of, there were a lot of foreign fighters, you know, Um, just because those children, though, they used to, I mean, as kids or maybe as teenagers, they were radicalized in in mosques or by their parents, you know, um, because they grew up with this mentality because for them, it's sort of like in love, uh, everything is fair game, but in religion, everything is fair game. It's sort of like that mentality. So whatever they could use against the enemy, the enemy is the infidel, the kafirs. It's, um, Acceptable, even if it's suicide, they will see it as a last resort, and they will say, You know what? They left us no choice, so who cares? You know, uh, they and then they say, But they never mourned Muslims dying, so why should we mourn their deaths? This is what they would tell us, and um, yeah, so uh, around this time around the Boston bombing, I met, uh, I wrote to him, I DM'd him saying, Oh my god, do you think this is an inside job? and you know why we had then we went into really like uh, uh a lot of different discussions you know like religious discussions and i was surprised that david he knew a lot about islam i was like how do you know about islam you know all these different things because he um his uh he 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 lived in algeria as well uh once and he's he's very much well aware of is uh, of islam he has read the quran the hadith And I was surprised. I was like, I've never met a Westerner who knows uh, so much about Islam, you know? He knew more than me, basically. (laughs) And I was like, really fascinated. And I was like, then, okay, then why don't you believe in it? You know? This is the word of God. This is what I told him. Can you believe it? (laughs) (laughs) And so we really went into a lot of discussions, philosophy, literature. And then, you know, I started slowly, a little, and I always held back myself. You know, I was like, I don't even know this guy should I, he's asking me, uh, Hey, how I'm doing, whatever, whatever. Um, um, and I'm like, I don't know, should I trust him to tell him a little bit about myself? He told me about himself. I haven't told him anything about myself, you know, cause I was suspicious of him. And then I was like, slowly, you know what? I don't care. I will tell him, you know, um, what harm is there? You know, I'm not doing anything wrong just by talking to somebody. Um, and yeah, I told him a little bit about myself, saying, hey, I'm studying in London. I come from this place and blah, blah, blah. So we, we started talking more and more. And one day we find out we have fallen in love. And David also also from a Jewish background, which makes things worse.
2: <laughs>
0: so, so I was like, oh, shit, you know, um, now that. I mean, oh my God. I, I Oh my God. I love this guy. What do I do? You know, my parents and increasingly my parents were becoming uh, even more religious because they had gone to Hajj. And so they became even more religious. So on pilgrimage. Yeah. They became even more religious. And increasingly, you know, I was reaching the age of, you know, a ripe age as it's called for marriage. And they were talking about marrying me off, uh, finding the guys. And they already had a list of men that they wanted to uh, say, okay, you have a, you can choose between a and b like this
1: and you and you came to them and said i have option c which is a vegan zionist atheist jew <laughs> no i <was> actually <laughs> i don't <was> think <laughs> you did that but but that would it would have been very funny had you come as like no no like i got the perfect that was
2: like,
1: that's
0: what i told david i was like you know what um and at that time i was still believing but i started uh to become um less of a conservative muslim so i was like yeah you know what Hey, that's not important. You know what? Why should the, my brother tell me how to dress? I'm not doing anything wrong, you know? Um, and why is it a sin, you know? Uh, what am I doing wrong? And I started to really, after having these questions and and really uh, uh, like examination of, of myself, I was like, yeah, he's right in a way. Look, I try to bury this. I always, you know, I always had doubts as a child. I was curious and I had buried that growing up. Uh, I have suppressed my own personality um and my sexuality too, and i was I told David that, hey, you know what? maybe I tell my parents maybe they will accept you if you convert to Islam. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you said that seriously
0: I said this seriously <laughs> oh, and man. um yeah and uh, and he was like, okay. He said, "Okay, he will."
2: He
1: said, uh, and did he say I, that seriously?
0: No, he said uh, he. I didn't think he told me that he didn't really mean it in that sense from his heart, of course. But he okay. didn't want to disappoint me, you know. Okay. Uh, he didn't want to upset me when I say no, and then I'm gonna be like to him, look, still I'm marrying outside my 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 culture and whatever. The least you can do for me is convert to Islam. You know, <laughs> <laughs> this is what I was telling him. Um, because I was like, there's no way my parents would accept an atheist, you know? And then, you know, slowly it dawned on me because there were more talks of marriage and everything. And my parents were like, yeah, you know, this guy, he's the right one for you. You're going to get married to him. Uh, Basically, my parents wanted to force marry me. Um, and literally my heart was beating and I was like, and I knew I, I, I loved somebody and I knew, oh my God, what do I do? You know? Uh, I was facing with this dilemma and I had to act normal at home. You know, when you're in love, when you're, um you may, you might make mistakes, you know, you might show this side, maybe there is somebody and then you're locked. I knew that if, if it can turn out to be very bad for me, that my parents locked me and they send me to Pakistan or Afghanistan. Um, you know, they wanted me to marry somebody that, that they wanted to religious and Afghan and a Pashtun. That's the tribe I come from. Pashtun is an ethnic group basically in Afghanistan. And they didn't, they they even made fun of people who married outside of the ethnicity. So can you imagine? Um, And I was like, oh my God, you know, um, I think it's going to be a very bad idea telling my parents because look, I'm alone against uh, basically my parents, my three brothers, you know, and three brothers. Uh, what if the moment I say this, they beat me up because they had beaten me up. I didn't tell you this, but growing up I was um, uh, punished with cane, with a cane, with a belt, with wires, um, you know, because I, uh, my parents said "Ah, I wasn't being good or misbehaved or whatever. So they would really punish me um, by slapping me. And I also grew up with this. And so, so, you know, you accept it and you don't want to be hit. You don't want to be punished. So, you accept, you try to act good not to be hit. Uh, so this is what I had to do as well as a, as a child and as a teenager. Um, and I was like, you know what? If I tell them this now, what if they lock me up and they, they, uh, they slap me, they beat me, what if they even kill me? Uh, because growing up, my parents would make, uh, tell stories of what happened to women who dishonor family, the family. Um, and there was a woman in our in our family, well, some distant relative or so. I was told something along those lines. And uh, she had married within the culture and everything, but outside of marriage. And um, she was pregnant too, and they killed her.
1: Do you sincerely think that your parents could have been capable of killing you for, I think that, for what you were doing? Yes,
0: I think yeah. so. Um I think I genuinely think, because imagine if I'm alone there with two adults and two uh, grown up, you know what I mean? Men, my brothers, and I'm just the only one, you know, Um I would I would be punished severely, maybe even raped. Who knows? Um And I think I think I think that I, I could have been killed most likely because then they would think that even if they would never believe that we had never met. They would say, "Ah, oh, but you slept with him. Whatever, you know, you dishonored us. You, uh, we will kill you. You know."
1: And you had never met David at this time when you realized you were in love with him, and you were you were almost getting forced married. You, you had never met him. Yeah,
0: we had never met, but we had write, written almost every day, uh, and we had like, and I had to make four different accounts because you know, back then, you know, do you remember on Twitter there was a limit on DMs?
1: so <laughs> i don't i don't think i used twitter uh back because i had twitter since maybe around the same time you did i just didn't use it at all i didn't i didn't start using twitter until uh okay like to beginning of 2015 when i started doing all this atheism stuff so i never i never engaged with anybody online i think i just used it for news or something
0: in the beginning there was like a limit on dms
1: mm-hmm.
0: um so you couldn't send too many dms i'm not sure if it was 200 or 300 so can you imagine that was like two accounts full? So we had to use the third one in one day because we were just discussing everything, you know.
1: Oh, so you so uh, you would you would send the limit, uh, DM limit in one account and then switch to the other account to keep going. Yeah. Wow, that's it's kind of romantic. That's <laughs> really we sweet. Talk,
0: yeah, we were talking and we were like, "Oh my god," you know. And I had to be extremely careful because I was like, "Shit, sure, if I get caught," you know. Um. So I knew. I knew after talking with David too, that it's going to be a really bad idea for me. And he wasn't there to help me. You know, there was nobody to help me. I'm alone in with my parents um, in the lion's den. I'm in the lion's den. Um, and I was like, oh shit, you know, there is no other way. And the, so we started talking and we were like, you know what, the only way out is by leaving and never returning, but not telling them. And you know, the thing is, I had told my sister too, uh she didn't know that she knew david and i were talking but she didn't know we loved each other and uh, she knew him too by the way um but she didn't uh suspect anything you know um because i knew that if the moment if if me and my sister have a fight she will uh rat me out uh she will stab me in the back um, even though she once told me that, look, if one day you're going to leave, because we always talked about this, uh, you know, the older we got, we were like, you know, we will be married against our, our, our will. And we even watched a documentary about forced marriages once together. There was a BBC, I think, I don't know, Channel 4 or BBC, there was a documentary, we had seen it. And at nighttime, I would discuss with my sister saying, you know what, look at the situation, we're living like slaves here, you know? And we would have these talks and I, I was like, you know what, one day we will leave this place. Uh, and my sister was like, you know what, if you ever do, uh, don't tell me and just go. This is what my sister told me. And I said, okay, if that's what you say, I will do it this way. So I didn't tell her, you know. Um, so I devised a plan, a plan with with David and to leave. And uh, I bought uh, a ticket to, to France. And that's how we met. Uh, so on that day that I left, um, the thing is, it was, it's quite a long story, basically, how I left because it was a disaster in a way because I, I didn't have enough money on my account because my parents would not give me money. They would only give me like, uh, like I, I was only allowed to have a hundred euros, or uh, pounds on my account for the month, but not more. Um, because they said that we don't know what you're going to do. So they took all of my, uh, you know, the grant that I got from university they took the money for their own expenses yeah they took the money um and so that was more than like 6000 euros they took from me and i even had a discussion back then i remember i was like that's my money and you know what my brother was like no that's not your money uh look now she's talking about saying this is her money next day she will be doing something else you know so i knew okay i better shut my mouth um because this could turn really bad you know what if i have no bank account no nothing you know um, and I had no contract, so I was only allowed to have a certain amount of money on my phone for phone calls. Um, so I didn't have much money. So I, I asked a friend for help for money. Um, but I didn't tell her what, what I needed the money for. I just said, please help. I have a situation. We have a family situation, you know, and she was Muslim by the way, but she never knew. Imagine if you knew I was leaving. Yeah. I don't think she would have helped me. Um, so I took the money and, um, on that day I had a university exam. So I left really early, took my passport and just, just left, never to return again. Um, so yeah, that's how I actually left, uh, London and I came to France and met my partner. And from there we went to Poland. And, uh, now we're living in Bratislava, but we were also in Israel. Um, but yeah, it was a long journey for me. And even when I met him, I was still, um, still believing uh i was still religious in a way still believing
1: when you met him
0: yeah because i was like that's the only thing i knew because i when when we met when i met him i didn't i questioned everything of course but i became more of a secular muslim okay um like you know majid Nawaz. do you know majid Nawaz? yes so sort of like majid Nawaz. okay um so when i met him when i met him but i was like uh you know when i had left for france i had taken off my hijab I actually threw it away because um, I was like, "No."
1: What was the feeling like when you when you when you left and you, you got to friends and you escaped from your your family? For I mean, per- permanently. What, what was what was going through your mind? Was it fear? Well, was no. it a, you were elated? You were happy? What was what was that?
0: You know, I, it was sort of like you know when you're you're being hunted. You're being hunted, so you are um, you cannot be happy in the moment. You know, you cannot be truly happy because in that moment you cannot be because you're not in safety yet. So you are very much aware. Uh, it's sort of like, let's say a man is chasing you with a knife. You feel, you, it's sort of like that feeling, you know, uh, adrenaline. My body was filled with adrenaline and I was just, the moment I had left the house, everybody was sleeping, by the way. Um, everybody, I knew they would think I had gone to university because I told them I have an exam early in the morning. So, when they wake up around eight o'clock, I would have been gone. So, it looked normal, you know? When they wake up, my parents wouldn't, uh, my my brothers and my mother, because my dad was not there, they wouldn't think, ah, where is she? They would think, ah, okay, she's in university because she told us she has an exam, you know? Um, And I had taken my passport um, from, I actually stole my passport because the day before it was actually short my plan was cut short i was meant to leave later but i had to leave earlier this is why i needed the money um because my parents needed my passport and everybody's passport because of some tax thing you know the authorities and i was like oh shit, my passport is gone you know what do i do you know so i actually had to steal it early in the morning from my brother's desk, and he was sleeping there, and I was tiptoeing, getting it from the plastic wallet on his computer desk, and I see he's turning around, but his eyes are closed, and I take my passport out, and I leave, and I'm pretty calm, actually. I'm really calm in this moment, because I knew that I cannot panic. If I panic, I have lost, So, and, I, and not to turn around, turn around. That's the thing. The moment you leave, never look back. The moment you look back, you have the feeling something is drawing you back. It's like a black hole, you know?
1: And and if you had messed up in that moment, had he woken up, you probably never would have gotten your passport.
0: I had a story. I had a backup story. I had the, my backup story was this. I had hidden my ID, university ID in my bra. And I, if he had asked me why I'm coming here, I'm going to say, look, I didn't want to wake you up. And I need my passport because I cannot do the exam without an ID. And I lost my bloody, uh, uh lanyard (laughs) Mm -hmm. my university on the train somewhere and i need the passport i would Uh have told this story and i knew it it was believable because you know you cannot enter i knew you you know you cannot do an exam without an id and if you lose your id you have to and i'm gonna be like okay you can come with me if you want i would have told him this i would have said okay let's go together then you know if you don't believe me
1: oh so you had a you had it all planned even in that case.
0: In that very moment, I thought about this. In that split second that I had, I thought about this. Because I was like, "What things go wrong, you never know. Because all odds are against me. So you have to think about the worst case scenario, yeah? And um, I took it and I just, sl- and I didn't, because there were two doors. So I, I basically did, I left the first door open because it made a lot of na- sound, a lot of noise. I was like, oh shit, you know? <gasps> So I left the first door open, and the last door, the one facing the the road, I closed. And I was like, oh shit, now I better leave. I, and I just kept walking. I walked first, right, halfway through the road, I'm walking, and then I run.
1: Right, so in case <laughs> they came down and saw you, and if they saw you running, they thought you were escaping. If you're just walking, you could say, well, I'm just going to school or something. Yeah, so halfway, that yeah. they couldn't see me, I was walking.
0: And then as soon as I was out of sight of the house, I was running. I quickly went. I went to university. I took the money and I left. And I went to, uh, took the train and just, I was gone like this. Um, and everybody had seen me at university on that day. Because I was like, they looked at me and nobody asked me. That's the funny thing. Why is my hair looking disheveled? Because um, I was wearing the hijab very loosely. And I was not wearing any socks. And, um... <laughs> <laughs> I was pretty calm, you know, there was an exam and everybody's stressing out and I'm sitting there not even giving a damn, you know, and the only thing I'm worried about is the hundred pounds that I need. And luckily I had that money and I was left and I was like, yeah, yeah. They were like, aren't you going to go do the exam? Look, we're starting in like 10 minutes. And I was like, look, I'm, I'm prepared for the exam. I was like this, I've revised and I know I will ace it. You go, I'll be there this is what i said i know i know i don't know how where i got the balls to say this but you have this courage you never know that you have uh that you have and i had that courage and i knew i had to stay calm so i i just left and um never to return again that's how I, for me it was really an escape um because i knew there was no other way that that i would that I would leave my leave my life because you know around this time you know when I was thinking about leaving I knew that look I could finally do whatever I want you know I could finally I don't have to be uh, judged every single moment I don't, I'm not forced to you know okay I believed in that moment but it wasn't sort of like uh, you have to pray now wake up at six o'clock in the morning uh, forcing me to pray you know um and it was sort of like. Mm
1: -hmm. Were you at all nervous that you were putting your life in the hands of a person you had never met and is only a Twitter account? And what if he's not what he says he is? What if he doesn't show up? Did, Did that occur to you?
0: You know, the thing is, that didn't occur to me. That's the thing. For me, it was like, you know, when you write to somebody for so long, months on end, every single day, hours long. Um, how can they keep up the facade? you know,
1: maybe you just never been they, a catfish
0: yeah, maybe that, maybe that, but for me, it was like he's he's such an intelligent human being, so well educated i didn't never I never thought of this actually, uh, and we had even phoned as well he we even talked on the phone, we had seen each other's pictures by the way oh okay <laughs> I, I exchanged a selfie. Um, with my hijab. He still has that selfie of the hijab, by the way. <laughs> um, I had to exchange that. And when Twitter was not available because all accounts were juiced that I would go to email. So we would continue on email. So he was sort of like, you know, back in the days, you know, when you write love letters. And I never thought of this because for me, it was like, it cannot be worse than the situation I'm in. It cannot be worse than my family who are forcing me, who are beating me to do this, who are telling me what to eat, what to do with my life. They will marry me off to a man who will basically have sex with me when he wants. He will rape me and force me to um to stay at home. Uh it cannot be worse than that. Hmm. Um and of course it's uncertain, you know. I knew I was stepping into uncertainty, but I didn't question his honesty. And when I went to France, I was in a casino waiting for him. Casino, can you believe it? I was never in a casino in my entire life. And that was the first time the first act of my freedom was taking off my hijab and the next one was in a casino <laughs> and I'm waiting and, and I was thinking and this guy told me, you know, have you met this guy? You know? I told him a little bit. And I was like, what if he's exactly what you asked. What and he said, what about this? And I was like, no, I don't think so. Why would he do this to me? You know, and even if he did, um you know what? If I go back, I would never go if I go back to the UK, it won't be to my parents' place. I knew that I, I had a fr- uh, two or three friends who I knew uh, who didn't know my, who didn't have any contact with my family or anything, but I knew they would help me. They were secular and very kind people. And I was like, okay, maybe they can help me. So I knew there was somebody to help me if I needed help, but I would never go back to my parents' house. That's one thing I decided on. And I was like, you know what? No way. No way am I going back to that cage. And whatever comes at me, comes at me. I will deal with it. This is the attitude I had. I was like, I'm not gonna be too worried now, thinking about this and that. He's saying he's coming, so I'm waiting. Mm-hmm. Whatever happens, happens. I will. I, I, I'm not gonna stress myself out, you know, because I was already under stress. And then he was there, exactly like he said he would be. Um. So I knew. Okay, basically. Uh. I know some people have been catfished, but the, the intensity of our friendship, we were like best, we are like best friends. The intensity of that, the talking, the never ending, you know, the understanding and everything. A person who's like that cannot be, cannot, uh, fool you, you know? Um, I think you cannot hide it. Um, there comes a moment. Can you imagine be having to catfish somebody out? Not 24 hours, seven. Sooner or later, you will reveal your true colors, you know, or on the way, you're going to say, haha, it was a game. No, I really heard he was coming, you know. Um, He had called me from different countries and I knew, okay, he's coming. It's true. You know, Um, I'm going to believe in this. I said, there has to be hope in this world.
1: (laughs) I just I'm just shocked that you your whole escape and this this opening up of the world and that you found love. And now you're married all because of Twitter. Because Twitter, to me, yeah. has made me hate the world.
0: <laughs> now, for me, it was really the other way around. For me, it was really like Twitter. If it wasn't for Twitter, if it wasn't for, um, it was, I think it was, uh, there was the VMA Awards. And I and basically, I wanted to know live what was going on. And I had heard of Twitter before. And I was like, oh, my God. On Twitter, I can know what's going on in real real time, you know? So that's why I joined. Twitter. That's why I joined Twitter, because of the VMAs.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thank Allah for the VMAs.
0: I know, right? Wow. And I was like, yeah, and, and it was like, oh my God. And I became really addicted to it because I was like, oh my God, for the first time in my life, I'm in the platform where ideas are changed, where you ex- exchanged, um, where you meet so many different people that you never have the opportunity of meeting before, you know?
1: Because in Afghanistan,
0: there was no TV, there was no computer, there was no nothing, you know so I I also had that in my back as well. and I was like, wow, that's amazing. this is um, this there will be so much peace in the world because of Twitter, you know
1: <laughs> yeah, so much peace in the world because of Twitter. yeah, that's, I don't know if that's true anymore. But I can still see I that know. that today, even though I think in the West we talk so much about the bullying and the aggressiveness on on Twitter, I think there's still so many people in the world. That are in the situation that you were, and their really only outlet is through something like Twitter. And even if it's, I mean, even if it's to see really aggressive, like aggressive kind of conversation, maybe that's better yeah. than nothing, right?
0: I w- that's exactly it. You know, even if you're saying the most hateful stuff, but you should have that right to say it, and I should have that right to argue back. Um, so it should be in that manner, you know, exchange of ideas, even if it's heated. I mean, I have a friend, he's quite religious, actually.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: He's Orthodox too. And we always have these really tough discussions, really like, uh, sometimes even verbal. Yeah. But then we are still friends, you know, because that it's nice to have that difference of opinion, that difference of, of a, a, diff, a different outlook on life, because it will be so boring if you surround everyone yourself with people who have the same opinion as you and that's for me it was like wow you know uh and so for me it really helped to bring everything together and uh it was sort of like uh, letting out the steam (laughs) Chola was my that sort of i mean i do remember sometimes being really nasty not bullying but nasty in the discussions you know um, sort of being apologetic and sort of like, you know, Linda Sarsour, I mm. think <laughs> you've heard of her. Yes, something like that. that. Yeah. I was yeah. something like this. I was like this, but somehow I wasn't exactly like her. I was more curious than others. I was interested in science. I was interacting with atheists, even if I didn't believe in them uh, or it, it, it didn't um understand their perspective, but I was trying to still communicate. Cause I was like, look, if, Islam claims to be the truth. Then why should I be afraid of his opinion? You know. Um,
1: oh, could you imagine it if not. if Linda Sarsour became an atheist and married some vegan Zionist Jew? That would be, <laughs> that would be interesting. I don't think I don't, I don't even, that I think that's, that's going to happen to her.
0: I think I don't think so because she's really radical. For me, I always had this curious side, uh, and for me, I always had this treat people how you want to be treated. Like this has nothing to do with religion. I always believed in this as a child as well, you know, treat people with kindness, with decency, and you don't need religion for that. And, um, but the, but those people who don't believe in these values, they can never turn back. They can never go the right path because they will always be radicals. Um, they will always be, uh, these rabid dogs, let's say, I mean, you know, I'm sorry, but dogs are cute, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, You know what I mean? So, yeah, so when I met him, I was secular. And uh, after uh, I had deleted that Twitter and I had made a new Twitter. (laughs) I closed the one that my parents knew of then and I made a new one. And on this new platform, I could really be, okay, I I used a different name, a pen, pen, uh, uh, like a sort of anonymous name. And I could really be like discuss ideas freely without the, restrictions of that were uh, uh, placed on me um so I could be whoever I wanted to be but you know the thing is um it is it is easy to achieve freedom on one side the hardest part is after freedom really I have to say this it was easy for me to leave that day on that and have the world to leave the hardest part for me was after what do you do with freedom now that you have it you know you're in the dark you have to everything you have been told was bullshit or maybe not but you have the ch- chance to finally analyze every aspect of your life you have nothing to worry about no study no no nobody's there you know no child to take care of nothing you have just yourself
1: do you find that freedom is was it seems romanticized maybe from the point of view you are in in your family but then when you have it it, it it creates a lot of introspection and and suddenly you have also responsibility and hard work and things you didn't really think about besides just the freedom to do what you want. Is that that's it? Yeah?
0: Yes, right. exactly. That's how um that's how it was for me because I'm like, okay, I'm free. What do I do now? You know, it was like it was being born again. Like when I went from Afghanistan to England, I, I had no, sc- I, I didn't know how to read, right? So I had to start everything from the beginning. And I had to go through the same thing now. I was in a new country, in a new environment. Um, Yes, I am with somebody who loves and respects and cares for me, you know. Uh, We would have really discussions about religion, about philosophy and politics. um, But it wasn't like, oh, you have to believe this. Really, it was like, you know, okay, tell me why. Give me an explanation. Um, And I had no explanation. That's the thing. Uh, I was like okay, this is just because that's the word of God. This is what I said. Because it's so beautiful, it must be true. This is what I said about the Quran. (laughs) So
1: so when did you become an atheist? How much after that did you become an atheist, I should ask?
0: Uh, A year later, actually. So, um, Wait, wait, what year did you leave home? I left in
1: 2013.
0: Uh, Actually, it's almost uh, now a month uh, that I've left. Almost a month from now was the anniversary of my freedom. Uh, uh, so in June, I left 20th of June, 2013. I remember it so clearly as, as daylight. Um, so yeah, I left at that time. And you know, my parents did threaten me. My parents did send me emails saying, ah, you bitch, you whore, blah, blah, blah. You've been brainwashed by a Jew. He bewitched you. Um, all these things come back. We forgive you. You have to apologize back to us. This is what they told me. <laughs> And I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, no way. And I was like, fuck off, you know?
1: Through what medium did they find you?
0: Oh, the, through email. Because I still had my old email. Ah,
1: I see. Okay. Uh,
0: the one they knew. That's how they contacted me. And I was in contact with my sisters. And my sisters had my phone number. Uh, and uh, my sisters didn't tell my parents, I think, at that time. I'm not sure, actually, if they did. But somehow, I felt like they were trying to stand me in the back. Because they were telling me they were also getting abused at home, you know, being forced to pray, all these things. And I was like, you know what, I, you guys are in under 18. You need to really call the police and write to the forced marriage line. Because now there is um, uh, a special sector uh, de- in the UK dedicated to forced marriages. And I knew that my sisters could get forced married. So two, I escaped it, but they are left behind, you know. So I wanted to help them. So I tried helping them, but then they, um, so you know, they contacted the authorities, etc., and they were taken out and given to foster care. But a day later, they returned. Can you believe it? They, they returned. They,
1: they wanted to return, or they were returned by the police to the to your.
0: Parents? No, 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 no. They actually wanted to return. They were given to foster care because um, they even I even talked to them. I was like, you know what? Here, my sister wrote this email. So my sisters did all the. Contacting and everything, they contacted the authorities, and suddenly the police is at home, and the girls are taken away to foster care because of abuse, child abuse, you know, uh, because they were underage, uh, and they were being, and they were being hit, and they were being hit and beaten as well, um, because you know I have ashamed the family. Now they are the two girls, you know, um, what if they have done something? So they were punishing them as well. Um, so the police came and took them and, um, gave them the foster care. And like a day or so later, they returned back saying they wanted to return and that they apologized. It's not true that I actually forced them to tell this story. This is what they try to, uh, blame it on me, even though they're the ones who contacted the authorities and they, and I had all the DMS, all the emails of them begging for help. And, and I think it was to lure me in and stab me in the back. And they even gave my phone number and my parents called me and I was like, what the fuck? How could you betray me? How could you do this? I even told my sisters, look, I tried to help you guys. You know, you could have had a new beginning like me and it's beautiful. I tell you this. It is hard, of course. You guys are going to be alone with a foster care, but those parents are going to care for you. They're going to love you. And look, they accepted you. They don't even know you and they accepted you in their house. And the family was black, and you know, uh, Afghan and Muslim communities, those who are not black, yeah, they have they have this racism, they have, there is racism in, in uh, uh, non-black uh, Muslim communities against blacks. And because the family was black, my sister was like, oh, but they're blacks. And I was like, who gives a fuck? They're the ones helping you, so what if they're black, you know? Um, why are you talking like this? You you, are, you grew up in this country, and you're talking like my parents, I told them, you know? And she was like almost 18 years old, by the way. So she's not a, a seven-year-old kid. Uh, she was around almost 18, uh, like a month before her birthday. And I was like, look, you you know what's right and wrong. You talk about the injustices going on, and now you're blaming it on me and on the on this poor family that's trying to help you. Um, and yeah, they try to literally sell me out. Um, and I was like, you know what? Fuck you. Now you will never hear from me. And my parents disowned me, too, um, in this time. And therefore, I have no contact with them.
1: So you, after you left, you never saw any of your family again?
0: No, I didn't see them. And I'm glad I didn't. Because in the beginning, for, for me, it was, like, sad. But then I was like, you know what? They wanted to marry me off against my will. To so a man who would uh, rape me whenever he wants. To have children. To stay at home. Be a baby machine. Because I have seen... Um, this with my mother, you know, uh, I don't think she had sex, uh, whenever she wanted. She even once told me, cause I asked her, is there such thing as rape in Islam? You know, cause no, I asked her what, what about rape in Islam? And she said, there is no such thing in our community in a marriage. So if somebody else does it, okay. But in a marriage, when the husband does it, it's legitimate. Because you're trying to you should satisfy your husband's needs, otherwise you're not a good muslim. This is what my parents my mother told me coming from a woman you know she's justifying her own uh, her own uh slavery and rape basically um and i was like literally, i was i was like wow how could i don't want that future for me like my mother because she also suffered from depression, i'm sure um you know being so and happy with her life being with a man. Okay. She also taught bad values to her sons by telling them that they are so great and everything just because they have dicks. Um, but she, um, she accepted it in the end. She, she cared about what people thought about her, what the neighbors thought about her, you know? Um, and I was like, no, I don't want that. I don't want to be in this community. I don't want to be surrounded by this toxic environment where I have to fear for my life, that I'll, I'm afraid of the of my husband coming home because he will rape me now. Um, and that's, I, I I was really thinking about this because I, I knew of cousins, I knew of relatives who had gone through this, who were hit and beaten. And um, it was acceptable. Because he was blamed on the woman. She must have done something to provoke him. This is what they said. My brother slapped me. He's younger than me. I just want to quickly add this. And I will never forget this. You know, he was on the, he wanted to play games on the computer, but I needed the computer for schoolwork. And I was like, look, you play too many games. No, you're not going to get it. And he's like, no, get up, get up. Like trying to be very, he was very aggressive and he was like four years younger than me. So he was like 14, 15 or so. And I can't remember now, but he was he was in school, primary school, secondary school, sorry. And I was like, look, so what are you going to do if I don't get up? Are you going to hit me? I was like, this is this what you call manhood? I told him this in his face. And you know what? He hit me. And my, pa- my mother came in the room and she said, good that you hit her. Um, that's the place of a woman. This is what she said. And I never forgot that. Uh, and I was like, no, that's not the future I want for my life. And why should I? Why should I care about what people think? You know, why should I be afraid? My body doesn't. My my life doesn't belong to them. I. Do you, you want
2: know,
1: to say? Something? Yeah, I I I just think it's very important. Besides your story, is the characteristics you're saying right now about your mother? Because it's counterintuitive to a lot of people. I think like myself because I wouldn't know this unless I spoke with people like you that, that like a woman in a system like Islam, especially this fundamentalist, very conservative, very patriarchal, very misogynistic community and family structure of Islam, that she could embrace it and, and, and even defend it and fight for it and believe in it so dearly. And I don't, I, think, I don't think a lot of people realize that. Even people who follow the Islam discussion may think that all women in Islam are always fighting against it because how could you believe in it? How Why would you defend it if you're a second-class citizen and you're literally being raped in a marriage because wouldn't every woman want to get out and fight against it? And not necessarily. I think for there's women like you in, in, in communities like that, but then there's also women like your mother. And not just in Islam. I, I see this across born in all kinds of deeply religious communities of the the, I do always hear from the women I interview like yourself like their mothers were the most religious and the most uh, uh, um, uh, that kept them down from studying from working um, yeah things things like that I don't know you know the dynamic between your mother and your father who was the more fundamentalist and who kept you down the most but I think
0: my mother, more. your mother, more. I, think so. I would, oh. uh, I would say so too, because my father was rarely at home. Uh, and, you know, in Afghanistan, um, later on, you know, my father I told you he had left before us. And that's how we were able to leave the country. Um, the thing is, she was, we were, I was more with my mother than my father. So we, I didn't have that sort of connection with him. Um, so there was like, oh, my father was not there that often. And he would be going out and stuff like that. And he wasn't that interactive with us either, you know. But the mother was always there. And she would literally, I'm, I keep on saying literally and basically, um, she would uh, tell the boys that it's their right, that they should be macho, that they should be, um, they're better than us. Because we women, you know, like a woman cannot lead a prayer. She shouldn't lead a prayer uh, in Islam. Uh, she cannot be an imam, sorry. She cannot be an imam. Uh, Because we are basically too stupid. Um, And she accepted this. You know, when you are, it is for us, of course, it is for me, it's hard to understand that. But I can explain it, but I cannot understand it. I can explain why it's like this. It's this, you know, when you're a prisoner, why do you think some people go back to prison? And, you know, there are a lot of people who commit crimes to go back to prison.
1: Right, they miss. There are they, people who are institutionalized that they they miss prison, and they that's because the, that's a structure it, they start to you know that they can only understand it, it, and work in.
0: Yeah, and you know the other thing is that um, my mother was uh, grew up in a very secular environment. My father was more in a religious, although communist. I mean, family wise, yeah. My grandfather, my mother's side, I have to say this was good. Uh, there are good aspects too. Um, but the bad are ways, ways by far the good. My grandfather, for example, he had no education. He had his own business in Jalalabad. That's another city uh, in Afghanistan. And he had his own transport business. He didn't know how to read and write, but he made sure all the daughters went to school. Even back then, even during the communist time when well, there was no, uh, 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 let's a prohibition of women's education, but still they would. In rural parts, there was, you know, the families wouldn't allow the daughters to go to school or you would only go to class one, but not more than that. But my grandfather ensured that all the women had that access to education and also to jobs. Um, so my mother grew up in a very, very liberal family. Um, for liberal for Afghanistan, let's say, uh, still traditional, but liberal. So she didn't wear the hijab and, and this. And you know, um, so she, can you imagine the more religious Afghanistan became? My mother had to also adapt. She didn't, she could no longer be the princess because she was the youngest, you know? Uh, she could no longer do this and that. And she also lost family members um, during the uh, com- uh, Soviet war, in uh, uh, Afghan-Soviet war in Afghanistan. And she lost her father. And you know, that mental toll it takes on you as a child. Um, I think that too, um, but also because, She wasn't that religious growing up and then she became religious. So it's sort of, it's the other way around. Like for me, I was um, non-religious and then I became religious and then not religious. For my mother, it was not being religious for a long time and then suddenly being religious. It's like, you know, some Muslims who drink alcohol and dance and suddenly they discover the true meaning of Islam. And then you see them wearing hijab the next day and they're like, oh, I don't drink alcohol anymore. It's sort of like that because maybe she felt guilty and also because she always cared about what people she let's not care but i think yeah she cares she's still around she cares about what people think because she still grew up in this traditional society let's take the religion aspect out but in a way you cannot it's very much goes hand in hand but still they care about what the community says and that was her weakness as well you know she didn't want to be seen as uh, whatever, you know. She wanted to be known as a uh, uh, look at her as a, an example, shining example of a Muslim woman. This was her ideal. And she even she even said she wants to go to Saudi Arabia once after she came from Hajj, She was like, oh, my dream is to go to Saudi Arabia with all of you. Those, for, some of you can stay behind and study here when the brother ge- when my brother gets married, and the rest of us can go to Saudi Arabia because she wants to be in the land of. Um, prophet, under quote marks, uh, Muhammad's, um you know, his birthplace. And she wants to do a service, even if she has to clean the Kaaba, you know. <laughs> that was her dream, you know. I was like, what the hell, you know. I was like, why did not you learn English properly? I was like, why don't you join an English course and finally work on the language, on your language skills? Why don't you do, learn how to drive and do these things, you know. Even if I was still I was a Muslim at that time as a child. I would tell my mother, look, let me help you read. I would try to help her in the evening with reading. Um, but she was just lazy in her thinking. She was, um, she had given up, I think, a long time ago. You know, imagine being raped in your marriage, uh, and having six children, six fucking children and uh, losing you know, uh, others, you know, uh, what is it called? Um, uh, what is it called when you lose a child?
1: Oh, um, um
0: I forgot.
1: It, it, you mean oh. in, 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 um, at birth, in or? pregnancy,
0: no, in pregnancy,
1: in pregnancy, uh, miscarriage,
0: miscarriage, sorry. Mm-hmm. You know, all these things like in, in, the, in, in Western European society, a woman, let's say atheist, secular, she has to go through this. She will have a lot of emotional, um, uh, things to deal with. Uh, so imagine you add religion to it and the traditions to it. It's so much more to let's say work on. Um, but she really started believing her own in, she started to believe this inferiority that she was told she, she, she is, she's inferior to men that she kind of think for herself. Um, because, uh women don't have that place and for them this is freedom you know my mother was like ah oh, islam liberated women look my husband uh, i can have a divorce in, in in marriage and 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 you can have a divorce when your husband tells you you can have a divorce you know that's the other side that they don't explain you can have a divorce but they don't tell you that the the, the man is the one who can give you divorce and not you um or a woman can act as a witness but your testimony isn't worth much you know um they don't tell you that aspect or they say oh but uh, uh, Khadija, which who was pro- pro- the muhammad's first wife she was a businesswoman but this has nothing to do with islam because that was pre islam she was a businesswoman
1: before you know yeah but he um, also married a, an older businesswoman when he had no options and he wasn't powerful and he yeah, wasn't the, the leader of a clan right
2: honey. as soon as he yeah, had he power
1: and he had the power yes. in the, and he was a leader of a of a powerful clan and he was a warlord. Then he started marrying lots of little girls, right? It was, That's, he, did, he didn't choose, to, you know, in the best situation to marry an older businesswoman. That's when he had no options. Yeah.
0: And when I was like, but, you know, I had genuine questions, not that I was trying to um, make fun or whatever when I was there. I was like, but what about Mohammed? You know, he married. Is it true that there is this verse um, about beating women or, um, that he married a nine year old how old was she you know because I was disturbed, even though I believed I was disturbed I was like, if this is the the final prophet, this is the truth, how can you marry somebody who doesn't eat? i mean I remember when I was nine um that is so disturbing um and I said, but you know what there is this verse because you know at that time I, through my twitter discussions I, people were t- quoting to me this verse about surah four you know where the man tell when men are told to beat women
1: yeah Um,
0: i think you know the verse i i I cannot really know i don't know if what for what now but um if you search it 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 it
1: gives all the steps towards uh disciplining your wife that first you stop talking to her and then you don't sleep with her and then if she keeps disobeying after certain things then you're allowed to to hit her and i've I've heard actually Muslim women in videos even praise this as, "Oh, do you see that uh, Allah gave us multiple steps to to yeah, go through before being beaten? Isn't this so um, so kind?
0: It's, it's really crazy, and I asked my father, I was like, "You know what, there is this verse because I didn't tell him how I came across this, of course, you know I was like, "You know, there is a verse, and I even checked it you know in the quran that i had, the verse was there i was like this cannot be made up you know it's really there i was shocked that was one of the first shocks that i had i was like wow i can't believe how can i defend this you know i was like this i was really i had this conflict dilemma and i asked my father because he he knows he speaks arabic fluently Mm um And I was like, uh, "Is this true? Can you tell me the translation of this?" You know, because I was like, "What if somebody made up an English translation and it was exactly like this? It was true what I read." You know, Uh, the translation was accurate. And my father tried to explain it by getting a miswak. A miswak—I don't know if you know it. It's sort of like a wooden um, thing that you use for cleaning your teeth. And -hmm. apparently, the I think Muhammad used this or something back in his days to clean your teeth a miswak walk is I, I think it's the right word and he got the miswalk walk and he was like let me demonstrate and he just tapped he was like yes and I was like but B, it says beat he was like okay but I will show you you can do this and he taps his hand <laughs> he's demonstrating to me how to hit a woman can you believe me I was like okay I didn't say anything in that moment I was like okay oh, okay because what can I say you know um I was
2: disturbed.
1: Can I ask you um about h- your mother uh, could it be and I, and cuz I, I you know I I'm hearing this situation from so many w- women could it be that because she's in this situation where she's having so many children she's in a marriage where she doesn't have control of the home or or sex so you're a woman in a marriage where you have practically no power And the only way you can have power, perhaps in your home or in the larger community, is being a pious Muslim. And being a pious Muslim means following things so literally and so – in the way that that keeps her down as a second-class citizen. But at least she has that. At least she's a – at least she's – you know, people can look at her and say she's a good Muslim woman. You know, at least that's some power.
0: that's what I like, it was for me the same, you know, like, when you're in such a situation, you have nothing else to fight for. Right. And you start believing the lies you are being told, and you start accepting, it, and you even start fighting for these ideas that you would have found repulsive, if you just had that, uh, let's say, five minutes of freedom, you would, when you look at it from that perspective, five minutes of freedom, nobody telling you anything, you would be repulsed. Um, and disgusted by this, and um, yeah, it was for me the same. So I in a way I understand I I can explain it. Um, but when I look at it from today's perspective, I'm I'm like, wow, I can't believe that this is like mental mad like it's madness. That's one insanity is the word I would say it is. Um because she always wondered, oh, what would the people say that you know we didn't she even said we didn't come to the UK. Because we want you to do whatever you want in your life. Uh You're coming here. We gave you this right. This is what she told me. We gave you this right. So you should be grateful for it. And um do not shame our family name. And we didn't come here for people to speak bad about us. Um So it was like this. Because you know what? A lot of people are leaving uh, places like Afghanistan, Iraq, for Europe. Why? Because... They have all the liberties that they don't have in Muslim countries, but yet they can still continue living like they do at home. You know, they, they have no wars, nothing to worry about that. They make money. They can have fun. The men, I mean, and the women stay at home and cook for them. Like for men, it's comfortable.
1: Right. So they, um, they have all the freedoms of secularism, but all the fundamentalism of Islam at home.
0: That's exactly it. They, they are like, I would say, you know, they act like, um, you know, the, how how should I put this? Um, They act like uh, peaceful people outside. No, I'm not saying all Muslims are like this, but there is this problem that exists in a lot of these communities. Um, And it comes back to religion. Like even if, whether you're from Afghanistan, people will blame it on culture, but whether you're from Afghanistan or from Algeria or Indonesia, whatever, why does it always have to end up with these problems forced marriages fgm you know uh discriminating beating up uh people who apostates or gays these problems it, intolerance exists uh in islam um but they don't want to address this because people are afraid of being labeled as a racist
1: so when when you left so- suddenly you have all this freedom What were the difficulties you found? Like, did was it hard to dress without? I mean, did you still use hijab when when you had left? No, I
0: I I didn't wear the hijab after that. I mean, I wear the hijab now, by the way, but only for my porn videos.
1: We we haven't even. Somebody might have been listening to this whole thing and not know you do that. Yeah, bomb drop. She. That's that's what you do. But but I kind of want to. I kind of want to get there slowly because I saw you evolve to that, and 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 I didn't know, for example, that. Because I I know I started um, doing everything I do online in January 2015, beginning of 2015. So it it was less than two years that you had escaped from your home when I first kind of encountered you from the beginning.
0: Yeah, actually, I I think it was like, yeah, less than one and a half years, actually, less than one and a half years that I had left. Um, So when I had left, you asked me, how did I cope with this? How did I face all these uh, situations? problems now that i was faced with it like my parents are no longer there i'm free and i have no structure there is no university there is no job no nothing because you know david was um working and i was like okay and he said you know what take as much time as you need he said there's no stress no nothing look i don't want you to feel like this is from one that you escaped yeah that you escaped from one prison to the next this is not uh you know, uh, a prison, you know, uh, you do what you want. Um, that's your life now. He said, and, um, I'm, I'm very lucky of course to have met somebody like David because so many people won't, won't be like this. You know, they would take advantage of you, but he never took advantage of me. Um, so yeah, he, so I was, you know, I had the whole day for myself. I was doing nothing. You know, I was like, wow. The first thing I was thinking is, what do I do? And I, I wrote to him. I told him, "Hey, what do I do? You know, I don't know what to do." And he said, um, "He said, you know what? It's your life. Do whatever you want. Don't ask me." And I was upset. I was <laughs> like, "What?" I, I felt offended. You know, that um, that he would tell me to do whatever I want in my life, to plan my day however I see fit, and not to message him with this when he was at work, because I would keep on messaging him, you know, because imagine not knowing anybody, you know, and that's the only contact you, wait, you have. In you were moment. offended
1: that a man would not tell you what to do with your life. Yeah, I mean, this I is felt, like a reverse I mean, feminism. <laughs>
0: I, know. I know, because I didn't see, I didn't see it in that moment, because I was used to yeah. doing things for other people. I was used to people telling me what to do. Uh, I never thought for myself. I never chose something for me, even when I went shopping. I never said, oh, I want to buy this for me. I want to look beautiful for myself. I never had this.
1: So it was never hard to make a decision on your own because you hadn't done it before.
0: Yeah, so I had made the first decision of freedom. And um, the second decision was now, oh my God, what do I do with my freedom? And uh, it was hard and I started slowly. It was really, and it was hard for me because I was, you know, in sitting outside in the garden I would play with the cats and cats my my day was like this I wake up like whenever I wanted you know I never had this I had to wake up really early prepare food before for my brothers sisters pray and all these things and now I could wake up when I want eat when I want do what I want and I would play with the with uh, with our cats for hours I was like wow this is nice and then I was like what do I do next you know so I started to slowly, um, structure my day. I started to read more. Uh, I read Majid Nawaz's work, Sam Harris, Hitchens, because I was like, you know what? What am I afraid of? Um, I still believed, uh, but I was like not satisfied. I, 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 I was hungry for more. Um, I was like, you know what? Why am I believing all these things? People have told me to believe these things. Um, I really need to start changing my my outlook. Examine why I believe in the in these uh, traditions, in these religious beliefs. I was um, trying to figure out more about myself, so I started reading more. You know, Nietzsche, Kafka, because I could finally read those books. Because I remember also um, growing up, I wasn't allowed to read um, those authors, so um, I wasn't allowed to read anything that had. Um, anything to do with secularism atheism because those were the books of the devil they were called and home so I should I was, I was only allowed to read books that I needed for school that's it or Islamic books but nothing more than that so I could finally read more and I started doing this and um slowly slowly I started questioning my the beliefs that I held um and really tackling at it one by one and also having discussions on it and i started having these discussions on my um other twitter account that i had made at that time in 2014 beginning of 2014 i still believed but then slowly i was like you know what this
2: is
0: this is bullshit you know uh because i started to read the quran but with this open-minded Um, I looked at the Hadith and I was like, wow, this is mental. This is crazy. I can't believe, I can't believe um, that um, I really believed in this nonsense. Um, This guy is such, is a warlord. He married a nine-year-old in no world, in no century. Is this okay? When you claim to have the truth, when you claim to be the perfect man, um, this cannot be right. Um, And I cannot continue living a lie. Um and then I became um became agnostic. Um and then I became like an agnostic atheist. So yeah, that's uh, it took a long time actually. It really I was very um hung- hungry uh for more for knowledge and uh I came across Majid Nawaz and Sam Harris also. Uh and I would watch their um I read their works, but also watch their uh, talks that they gave. Also, um, I am Hersi Ali. Um, and I was like, wow, these people, they're doing so much more for change than people like my parents. Um, they're doing so much more to help people. This is uh, crazy. And also, you know, I read Salman Rushdie's book, um, Satanic Verses. This was something that was forbidden. And I was like, what is there to be afraid of? Um, I'm not afraid. Um, I, read that book?
1: On I heard it's very yeah. difficult to read that book.
0: It is, it is difficult. Um, but for me it was even more difficult, but because I had these, uh, I was trying to cling on to beliefs. Um, but when I read it and also along with the Quran with an open mind, um, I was like, you know what? Well done, Rushdie. Well done that you wrote this book. Um, and look at these assholes protest who protested against him, issued a fatwa. I mean, unbelievable. Uh, I mean, you may have seen what I do now. Um, it's like I get the same. I don't get any fatwas or any death fatwas or anything like that. But you know, the hate that you get. Um, just for, just for criticizing an idea. And they're so afraid of this criticism. My parents, too. And for me, I enjoy it. I really enjoy um, uh, to uh, dissect these um, beliefs, um, these traditions. Um, for me, it's a lot of fun, actually, comb- with the work that I'm doing, too. You know, it's really fun. Um, so, yeah, I started slowly doing that. And when we met, you know, at that time, uh, I started doing webcam modeling <laughs> afterwards because I was curious, you know, uh, David, he's a, he doesn't use, he does, he's not a model, but he does photography. He's a photographer, professional photographer, and he did nude photography, erotic photography, and he would show me the photos. So for me, the next big change, aside from the change of, um to my thoughts, the next change was uh, my physical and ment- uh, mental, mental, sexual well-being um because i was still very i still suppressed my sexuality you know uh i was i never ha- maybe as a child i had an orgasm maybe i am not sure maybe and maybe because there was real image i have in mind that um, i remember maybe when i was 10 or something and maybe i stopped because i felt ashamed thinking oh, i'm doing something wrong because you're told um uh, to be good to be pious and not to do anything um and i never and between that time, you know, when I was probably like 10 or something, and until I was 20, um, I didn't have any sexual experience. I never kissed a guy. I never went out on a date or, you know what I mean? I never had that sort of, even though I was in love, but for, that's still, um, still different in a way because I had that experience I did not have in, my, in, my, in our relationship in the beginning. Um, and I didn't, you know, he, we, we had this sort of like, you know, whenever I feel comfortable, I start, first of all, I need to concentrate on myself, um, started concentrating on myself and I started to discover pleasure. And, uh, I remember when I was having an orgasm at the age of like 20, I was like, oh my God, it's taking so long. What is this? What am I doing wrong? It's rocket science. Uh, <laughs> this is what I was thinking. And I was, because I was, because of the guilt also because of religion, um, the guilt that is instilled in you, that you shouldn't have pleasure, you shouldn't have fun in your life, um, that masturbating or having sex, aside of marriage, anyone you're not married with, um, is a sin. That was still in, still in my head, you know? Um, so I was uh, like, hey, fuck it, you know what, I need to really change this as well, because I'm not happy. I'm definitely not happy with this. Um, I'm stopping myself. And I in the beginning, I also wore very conservative clothes. When I would go out, I would wear tr- like trousers and, and tops, but I would button up really like thinking everybody's looking at me. Oh, my God, people are looking at me. And I was like, then I was like, why, why do I care about what, what people think? um so it was always this fight you know that that primitive side of your mind saying people are looking at me and the more intelligent side is fighting against that primitive side saying fuck you you know <laughs> so it was this battle that i had um mental battle and uh, i started welcoming uh just out of curiosity actually um because i was like hey you know what i'm just gonna see what it's like it's anonymous um nobody knows anything nobody knows who i am there's nothing i just just to see. And I really enjoyed it. I was like, wow. And also through webcamming, I became more uh, sexually open. Um, and uh, what would
1: webcamming oh, involve?
0: A webcamming. Okay. So for me, when I started, for me, it was only like um, I didn't do any private shows. Um, I will explain what that means. Um, so there was a public chat room. So it's a chat room and you okay. sit there and there's music playing and you just talk to people, you know, you talk about your experiences and uh, then they tell you, yeah, you know what, what do you think about this? Or have you heard of this? And I was like, wow, I've never heard of, I didn't even know that feet could be a fetish. I didn't know this before. I was like, wow, that's really a fetish. I can't believe this. Um, so for me, I didn't know this. I wouldn't have known all these things if it wasn't for that. And in the beginning, out for weeks on end, I would just sit there. I'm saying, no, I'm not doing it right now, you know, saying I will only do a little bit of dancing. You know, that was my thing, just dancing and a little bit of, like, strip and tease, but not more than that. And then the more I did it, the more confident I became. And I was like, you know what, I don't give a fuck. I'm going to do what I want, you know. Uh, why should I care about what people think? And this is my body, um, and uh, I'm not killing anybody. I'm not harming anybody. I'm just having fun. Um, and and I was uh, f- and I was also making money. I was like, wow, I'm making money and by having fun. What a nice job!
1: <laughs> right? Did you talk to David about this? About what you were doing? <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, I told him. I was like, you know, what do you think about this? He was like, whatever makes you happy. <laughs> 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 he was like if that's what you want do it you know um so
1: he really had uh, no constraints ask, on you at all
0: no he was like don't ask me it's your body like this has nothing to do with me uh and i have to say that's one uh, very rare uh to come, such men or women are very rare to come across that you know you you are just free in your thoughts and we are still together and we still have this trust we still love each other um, but we can have fun with other people, you know, that's, um, it's just, uh, sex is just a leisure. Uh, it's, um, an activity, social activity. Um, I think we try to put too much, uh, emphasis on it, too much sort of like holy, it's holy, it's sacred. It's nothing like that. It's like, you know, when I go to the hair salon or when I have my nails done, it's, it's, it's part of our, we are very social beings, uh, creatures. When you look at the bonobos, they have fun and why shouldn't we have fun, you know? Um, and I, I was, I told him and he was like, whatever, do whatever makes you happy, do it. If that's what you want, but don't ask me about such manners, you know, not about what I think, or if I'm going to be jealous, you know what? I don't care. He said, I don't care about that. You know, I'm with you and I don't care about what people say as well. Um, so I was like, okay, so I had that support, which maybe many don't have. I'm very happy. and um, I mean, I'm very lucky that I, I uh, that I have this support. And the more I did this, the more I became free. And I think it was around this time that we met,
1: actually. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I, was... <laughs> I, I only knew you as somebody said you were, I think, an ex-Muslim. And then, I mean, as, as soon as I, I think I I saw you online, you were uploading kind of erotic pictures of yourself. So... Yeah, I think, to me, you were just kind of an enigma. I didn't really – like, I didn't know all this background behind you to to understand what you were doing online because I think – uh because it, it, online also was very new to me. So, I mean, when I first met you, I was learning how to use Twitter because I'm a bit older th- uh, than you. And, I I mean, I don't even know what webcamming is really because, to me, when I discovered pornography when I was young and a teenager I was discovering Playboy magazines, so –
0: so webcamming is like, uh, you know, when you have, do you know what sexting is, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah, so it's yeah. basically like that, but it's visual.
1: Which is so, super awkward.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's awkward. <laughs> no, it's not, it's not awkward at all, you know, because um, I have to say I've met some amazing people through webcamming, you know, uh, because it's very open-minded. People go there. I mean, there will always be assholes no matter where you are, but most of the times it's positive um so I would just have fun dancing I can do whatever I want and I was like hey you know what I'm just with these open-minded people two three hours a day I'm having fun just sexually I'm having fun dancing uh, uh, strip and teasing uh, using you know different dildos the vibrators I was like wow this is heaven um so I really I really love it I I still do webcam, by the way but not as much as I used to uh, and around this time, when we met, um, I also started discovering. Uh, the funny thing is, I started. I uh, webcaming before I did nude photography, because for me, webcaming was sort of behind, still behind closed door. It's sort of like a niche. Not everybody, not everybody knows what webcaming is. Not everybody goes and searches out, uh, goes out to have like some interaction. And most of my webcaming sessions have been just about talking, you know, listening to the other person about talking about sexual um, things like, uh, you know, their fetishes, their desires about what they're doing in their daytime, most of it has been like this. You know, the way we are talking, but with a sexual aspect
2: to it. Okay.
0: (laughs) Sort of like this. I was like, okay, that's nice. And I love to talk and interact. Um, And around this time, you know, I started doing photography, like taking photos um, of landscapes, macro, uh, macro photography. And I knew David did photography. Um, and I was like, I one day asked him, hey, why don't you take my photos? He took my photos. And in the beginning, I told him not to post it in case somebody sees me naked. I mean, even though I was doing webcaming, you know, because for me, the webcamming was still like a private sphere. And with the nude, you're like exposed. Um, because, you know, with the webcaming, it's not recorded, no nothing. So you just do it. Um, and and it felt more private, in a way, <laughs> in a way. Uh, and then I, I did my nude shootings, I started doing my nude shootings with David, and I felt really like liberated, I was like, wow, I really love this, and in the beginning, I told him, you can post those photos, but don't mention me by name, uh, and then the more I became, the more experience I gained, the more freer I became, I was like, you know what, I, I don't care if people see my photos, who should, if they see my photos, so what, they see breasts, bottom, legs, so what? It's just human, um, and I'm not gonna hide anything now. Just I, I didn't leave the uh, uh, leave Islam for just to be in another prison and the prison of society. Um, and so I started sharing those photos around this time that we met, <laughs> but I didn't tell much about my background.
1: <laughs> it's interesting for me to see you through the lens of Twitter, where you just first kind of s- posted these very artistic erotic sometimes black and white nude photos of yourself and then i yeah. you know so so i'm seeing these you know on on your twitter in my twitter feed every now and again it's like oh look there's nude yasmina again and and then and then <laughs> and then suddenly it got you, you started doing these kind of um s m uh videos yeah. where you would you would be tied up and whipped yeah, but- or or, or things and then suddenly in recent uh what in the last few months I uh, now i see yeah. pornography that you went into pornography yeah,
0: the, you know that's the way it is with freedom the
1: more you have freedom the
0: freer you become you know the more there is uh, you either stop everything or you you're hungry for more you want to be you want to have more of that you know you want to explore your freedom and you know the thing is for me i because I had experience with webcamming and I started doing BDSM because I love spanking. And through the story of O, it's a it's a really good book actually, and it's written by a woman. Can you believe it? Everybody, it was a, in the beginning when the book was out, everybody thought it was a man, but it was actually a woman who wrote the book. Um, the story of O, and there's a film, and it's just about a woman's uh, uh, sexual adventure, but with a BDSM twist. And it's about it's not like Fifty Shades of Grey where uh, there is this baggage of the, his poor background. And you know what I mean? Not everybody comes from that background. Um, and even if, like, you ha- you genuinely enjoy uh, the interaction, the role plays. Um, and I watched it, and I was like, wow, that's fascinating. It's really fascinating. I don't know how it is, but I have to try. If I-, if I want to know, I have to try. I kind of have an opinion of something if I don't read about it or I don't experience it. Um, because for me, I didn't want to be like the way I was before in the UK, accepting everything and just not questioning it. So I, I questioned it. I was like, you know what? Let's see. Is let's see. Come Like I, I was embracing it and I started it and I was like, wow, I love this. I love this interaction, this submissive dominant thing. Um, and I was like, wow, it would be nice to, um, to do this also like on photos, um, So I I started doing some photos and then um, uh, I was playing with the idea of doing it on video. I was like, you know what, are there any companies or anybody who's doing it? I would love to work with them Um, because, you know, at this time I was still, so David was uh, his full time job. It was and is photography and videography and mine was in the beginning, you know, I had nothing. And then I discovered, Hey, I love this. Uh, I mean, I could have gone into further studies, Um, but then I was like, no, I don't, I'm not going to go into study now because I want to find out who I am. I'm not going to jump right into studying and then miss out on the fun. Um, so I was like, okay, studies can wait for a later date. First of all, I'm going to find out who I am. Um, so I started experimenting with BDSM and I really liked it and I started applying for companies and, uh, started shooting with them and, then it went into, um, sort of soft porn because it's a transition. You know, I didn't want to jump straight into, I mean, you know, some people do this. The moment they start doing new, they go straight into, let's say, double penetration. And for me, I was like, you know, I'm not going to do something just because maybe it pays more or, uh, because I don't need, first of all, I don't need the money. Um, I can do anything I want. Uh, I can make, Anywhere, you know, wherever I will do, whatever I do, I will be successful at it. But will I have fun? Because I really like being in front of the camera. I really like interacting with the lens. And I love to use my body to express myself. Um, and I was like, you know what? Let me give it a try professionally and see how it goes. If I don't like it, I can quit anytime. You know, I know the photos will be online, but who cares? I was like this and, um, I'm not going to work uh, with children or anything like that anyway. So I don't care about the consequences. Cause you know, when you start porn, um, you kind of work in certain jobs afterwards. Um, in some, in some countries, for example, you kind of work in certain jobs. And I was like, you know, I don't care because first of all, I don't like kids and I don't want to work with kids. <laughs> um, so for me, that's nothing important. And if somebody finds my videos, so what if they find my videos? then I'm not gonna work for a company or somebody who doesn't accept me for the way I am. Um so I knew of the consequences. Um so I, I I went ahead with it I ahead with it and I started doing um solo videos in the beginning, so masturbation. And the companies that I applied to are very much like they are considered feminist form. So it's not uh fake tits or you know what i mean you know it's not is
1: it a kind of um the like for example the lesbian porn that's directed to women that kind of pornography
0: yeah it's it's a mixture of both actually it's also directed towards guys but it's Mm. more it's based on the female pleasure right and for me i was like you know if i'm gonna start uh because i don't want to work with some bad company or whatever you know because there is a stigma attached to porn I want to have good experiences. I want to be with the right kind of people. And um, these these companies are doing great uh, work and they're making a difference, of course. Uh, and I would love to be part of that change. Um, so I applied to them and I got in and I started doing the solo videos. And then I was like, hey, you know what? I, I was very sexually open, regardless of gender, you know? I never thought oh, I'm heterosexual or I'm only attracted to guys. I can never think of, being with a woman or having experience with a woman, I never had that actually, so I was like, "Ah, oh, okay, you know what? Let me try, maybe you know because I'm curious, uh, so I tried, and I was like, "Wow, I actually enjoy it um so I started doing girl girl, so lesbian porn, and um that was for a year i started I just did lesbian porn for a year along with my b d s m with the webcamming, with the nude photography, so it's just like like four different jobs in one. <laughs> And, um, then I slowly started, um, this is, and during this time, you know, I really had lost the patient or patience with those community, you know, the group that we started out with, they were very messy. And so it was like petty fights. And I was like, you know, some of these atheist groups are just really, really bad, actually. I, I think,
1: um, I think it's not just, uh, the group we were, it's that, um, it's trying to form communities in o- online through twitter through youtube i i find that's not very effective especially if there's not, a lot of people who are not as serious about doing it as others there are people who want to stay anonymous and just be silly and trollish and i, I think it just depends yeah. who you interact with so i think i just got it yeah i mean it's not a say I, I don't i don't want to sound like it's a sense of superiority it's just different like what i want I got online and immediately I was never anonymous, I wanted to put my face out there, I wanted to put my real name out there, and I wanted to take seriously what I was doing, and that's not necessarily what everybody wanted to do, a lot of people don't want it, and that's fine too, I mean, everybody treats the internet however they want to use it, but I I felt like I wanted to do something different from the others, so that's, I, I think, I I never really had too much conflict actually with the group, I just noticed there was, there was a lot of kind of immaturity and silliness, and again, that's fine, but i wanted to lean you know, towards yeah. actually putting my voice out there to and that and, and, and it took me a while to discover what i like what how i wanted to do it like what am i doing online and i started to discover like um female activists middle eastern activists um activist for secularism, and I've now centered my podcast and everything I do around that and trying to read books by activists and then interview them about the books, but it took me a long time to figure out what my world is, what my voice is, what my medium is, and that's that that takes a while so i you know I, and I think a lot of people maybe are on that journey sometimes still, yeah, yeah,
0: I think so you know and uh, During this time, while you were going through this, I was going through the same things. And Mm -hmm. for me, it was, um, you know, like the the communities that I was part of, not that they were toxic or anything, but like you said, I wasn't taking it too seriously, but it was sort of immature-ish. For me, I was interested Mm. in philosophy. I was interested in having genuine discussions, for example, about death or about the universe, um, such things. And a lot of those people were just so immature and it would just go into petty fights or
1: bitching about. the the thing is is like we're we're all from very different places, different backgrounds and different ages, right? Like it can be a fifty year old talking it, with yeah. with fifteen year olds sometimes and you wouldn't even know it because sometimes they're anonymous. So you know, you have a you have a fifteen yeah. year old in the United States talking with a 50 year old in France, and they're from totally different backgrounds, it's, you know, they're not necessarily gonna get along, right? So it was, it Absolutely, can get messy, yeah. it can get messy, yeah.
0: Absolutely, so I was like, um, and you may remember, you know, during this time, for example, I did like a, a video actually, with the words, fuck Islam on my bum. Um, yeah, you I'm did. not
1: sure, if
2: you'd remember, <laughs> I
1: saw, right? I saw, yeah, <laughs> I definitely remember a video with, with the words written, fuck Islam on your butt. <laughs>
2: And and mind, I, yeah. I could
1: not forget that trust me
0: <laughs> with the hijab and i was right uh, yeah, oh with reciting the hijab the on yeah, That's right. yeah yes. and i was reciting the surah yeah, yeah. um in the beginning and I, and then it turned into and it was sort of like uh sort of like um with videos of isis in the video uh, uh clips of isis in the video integrated sort of like uh you know like committing blasphemy you know and for me i was like at, at that point and then i was like you know what well, I'm gonna, I really started focusing, like you, you know, uh, I was serious about my work, um, about art, about, you know, expressing myself through my, through my body, um, because I just find it really liberating. And like you, I also noticed, you know, around this time that you, you had more and more structure. At the same time that i was developing so i was like wow you have a podcast now you know that's amazing and the fact that you you became more precise and more structured with your with your themes um i mean i noticed this and i was like wow what that's amazing to see how much we have changed and not everybody changes of course uh, but it was inspiring for me and for me it was also like hey wow that's amazing you know what i love photography i love modeling maybe this could be something Maybe this could be my full-time job and um and it is now my full-time job you know uh so i was uh it, it has been really a long journey and and then i slowly from from girl girl i went into hardcore so boy girl uh porn mm-hmm. um uh at the moment i'm not doing i haven't done any anal or
1: dp shoots because for
0: me i always take things one step at a time me neither Uh, I take things one step at a time because, you know, there's, there, there may be girls who join the industry because they need the money or whatever, you know? And for me, it's like, I understand, of course, it's so much, the work is so much better than working for 40 hours a week somewhere. Of course, um, you, you get paid better, but it's not so much money that you have to, that you do something maybe you're not comfortable with, you know? Uh, in the long run, if you're not comfortable with it, but you still do it, if you don't like it, it's not a good idea. Actually, you can still, this, you can still do something maybe where you don't feel this way. But for me, i luckily, thank God didn't have this. Um, most of the people I've met are doing uh, in this industry because they really enjoy it. Um, You always have those people who don't like their jobs, whether it's in an office or somewhere else, you know? Uh, So I I started taking, in the beginning, I wasn't taking it that seriously. I was sort of like, hey, it's fun, blah, blah, blah. And I didn't really uh, know much about social, although I was using social media. But I didn't know about the strategy or doing postings or what to write. I was just crazy. There was no structure. And um, I I became more mature. (laughs) And uh, I was like, hey, I really like this. Maybe I need to change something. Maybe I need a website, you know. And I started building my own website. Uh, and you see that my occasionally I do discuss things like veganism, atheism, politics on my twitter um but you also see my other work, so mainly my 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 work, my professional work uh and before it was the other way around before I would occasionally post a nude photo, and mostly I was discussing with people who would never who never cared for a discussion, you know, so it was just pointless and now I only have discussions with people who really who really are um, genuine, you know, who um, want to hear my side or just a different opinion. And we just talk about it on -on one-on-one, you know? Um, It's kind of like we went
1: from soft core atheism to hardcore atheism in a way, right? We took it more seriously. Yeah. We took it
0: further. We took it it way more. And um, yeah, I started building my own website and I started doing, actually I started with Boygar last year, end of last year. Uh so you see it took me some time and for me people write to me saying oh yasmina when are you going to do anal or oh, we want to see you with legal porno and everything like like this and i'm like you know what guys i'll do what i want when i want there is like i'm not going to do something now just because you want to see me this way i understand you like my work and i appreciate that uh the support but i'm not going to do something that I ha- i'm not ready yet to do or why do I, you know what I mean? I don't want to fall into that pit of doing something that I'm not comfortable with. So, or I'm not comfortable with yet, or I haven't explored yet. So I'm taking things very easy with my work. You know, I built my own company with David. We're producing now content for for my website, yes, com So we are producing BDSM, soft and hardcore videos, uh, photo sets. And it's running really nicely, you know, because we have our uh our own ideas that we put into the videos uh and I'm directing the videos basically I'm producing it david is just filming um you know so filming with different guys filming by myself or outdoors um always with sort of like a sexual um aspect to it but not cheesy you know um natural the way i am you know just being me um and then i have worked for other companies so i travel a lot to germany to Switzerland, to Prague, to Budapest, uh, working with different companies, also doing my nude shooting tours and also going to events like Berlin Venus. So it's an erotic festival just to communicate with people. And it's really running good. And I really enjoy it because I'm doing something I love. And the more, um, the older I become, the more I realize how lucky I am to have found something I enjoy. Um, and of course I also use religion in this too because you may have seen that for one of my videos uh I used the hijab.
1: <laughs> yeah, I saw that was that was interesting. Does does that make you afraid at all to do that that kind of thing to get threats?
0: Uh you know what? Uh I'm not afraid actually. The only thing I'm afraid of is myself. Um <laughs> I'm not afraid of anything. Um in the beginning I would say I was afraid, but I thought that because it is really uh, an irrational fear that you have in the beginning, uh, fear of what? One day we all have to die, and I'd rather die fighting for my freedom, for my rights, than um, obey, than be than uh, be submissive, and be treated like a sex slave. So for me, it's like because I already had that journey, I know what hell is like. Nothing can uh, surprise me anymore um because if your own parents treat you like shit if so, if a stranger does it you know it's in the beginning less you know if your parents tell you something harmful um it's more um it has more of an impact
1: i i i have a i have a lot of questions for you um yes so uh, it it's it's really typical these days especially this new kind of cuz feminism I think a few decades ago was very much about sexual liberation and women being very open with their bodies because there was that very Christian conservative mentality in so much of the West. But now I I guess some people use the term sex negative and there's this idea of objectification and and pretty much any showing of the female body in any popular medium now is considered an objectification of the woman. So I yeah. th- I think a lot of, Women. Feminists, especially not maybe not all of it, it could depend on the kind of feminist they are, but there are a lot of feminists who might say that you went from a patriarchal society that forced you to cover and now you're just being objectified for men's pleasure. And so that's still a kind of slavery. And I hear that kind of thing all the time. Like this is, you know, this woman who's exposing herself for the pleasure of men. She's objectified. It's a form of slavery. You're not free either. How would you respond to that kind of stuff?
0: Um, You know, actually, um, I don't care about what they say. um, But I will respond, actually. um, Because what do they uh, expect of me? To dress up and start wearing a veil and a hijab to cover up? You know, I, the thing is, um, in terms of a justification, you know, we live in, in the society that we live in, you are judged on, on who you are. You know, the first thing when you look at, do you you cannot read people's minds. So you have eye contact, you know, that moment, um, you judge, uh, that moment when you go to a job interview, you know, it's sort of like they, it's easy to pour, uh, blame people who do porn, who do sex work. Um, because you know, there is this stigma attached to it. I'm a sex positive. I still call myself a feminist, but a sex positive feminist. I love sex. And why should I be, why should I care about what people think? Um, and I don't care about, um, doing it for men's pleasure. It's not about this. I do it for my own pleasure. I love sex. Um, and, um, if they are not happy about this, then I can't help them, you know, um, But I'm not gonna start covering up. It's basically um, not it's not so different than what the Taliban demand. That's the one thing that the those um so-called feminists um or less misguided feminists, let me use the right term here, and the Taliban have in common: hate for women's body uh, bodies. Because I don't hate myself. I love myself. I love to have sex on camera. I enjoy it, whether it's with women. As I said, you know, I'm very. Um, selective with who I work with. Um, So I really have fun regardless of what gender I'm working with, regardless of the gender of my partner. But I, of course, care about that partner's pleasure because this is how relationships or interactions, human interactions work. So now I'm not going to start hiding and covering up just because they are afraid of sex, of sexuality. Because, you know, the thing is... um, That's a sign of an oppressive mentality that they probably have. Um, because the moment you are sexually suppressed, that it cannot be a free society, you know, because you cannot be yourself. You're this is every society that is sexually oppressed. You've seen the state of those uh, societies we are back into, I don't know, seventh century Arabia. Um, and people will always say that, ah, but you're doing, you're objectifying yourself. You know what? I enjoy it. (laughs) You know, I enjoy showing my body. I have a lot of fun and the pleasure is for me. And, um, if they don't like it, they can go to hell.
1: How do you feel about this fetishization now in the, in Western community of the hijab where they're saying like both, there's some Muslim women saying in the West and there's a lot of Western feminists eating up. The narrative that the hijab is empowering it's feminist it it, it, it gives them an advantage over uh, other people in a society because they're not being judged by how they look and n- now you go into a mac store this happened to me recently where y- there's this huge poster of a woman in a hijab they're putting nike they're making a uh, nike swoosh hijabs or making barbies with hijab how does that how, how do I you know. see that
0: I think that's madness. And this is to do with the so-called, um, this is because of us, actually, in Western society. We tolerate things that shouldn't be tolerated. You know, uh, forcing your three-year-old daughter to wear the hijab just because you think, um, because she's to blame. The, if a man rapes her, a four-year-old, who's to blame? They will blame the woman or the child, saying that she's the one she did not dress up. Uh, Women are not lollipops. You may have seen this photo of uh, a packed lollipop with an unwrapped lollipop and flies. Women are not lollipops or anything like that. You know, they're the ones who think who are sexually hungry, you know, sexually suppressed people. Um, They're the ones with the dirty mind with this background. So I find it really um, disgusting that it's called empowering. I mean, I will say one thing, though. This is why I wear the hijabs in some of my shoes. It is empowering, but with my legs spread and the Quran in between. (laughs) That's the only time, that's the only time that the hijab is empowering. Um, But the thing is, um, too often women are forced to wear those. They are made to wear those. You know, in which Muslim majority country is secular, is a champion of women's rights, So which one has signed the human rights declaration, UN human rights declaration. It's it's really madness and uh, it's just the normalization of something that is, that is so crazy. Um, it's just like circumcision of boys, of girls. The next thing will be forced marriages that would be normalized by Westerners. Um, because they don't want to be labeled and they, they want to be so tolerant. You cannot be so tolerant, actually. I'm not tolerant of beliefs that want, uh, that say that I should be killed because I don't believe or that I should be thrown off a building because I'm bisexual. Um, how can, I cannot be tolerant of such intolerant beliefs. And I don't think, and I think we need to take a stance. And if you want to wear a hijab in a Western society, it sh- there should be a law saying over 18 or something, you know, just like as you can get married under 18. Um, we have to protect those women. Um, but it's really, it's really crazy and it's, as I said, the hijab belongs in the brothel or when i'm wearing it in my videos with my legs wide spread wide apart
1: yeah and that's empowering and, and feminists often use the idea of just well if it's a choice it's fine but choices are not always good you can make bad choices for example the muslim uh girls and and boys who went to join isis as a choice i mean that's that's a horrible choice and is that a choice that should be respected only because it's a free choice? Well, no. And I think an excellent example of how complicated the idea of of women and empowerment and uh, combined with the freedom of choices—for example, your mother—that you know yeah. she, she she wasn't in she in a against everything that was happened happening to her. She she was she chose she a lot of it was a choice, and that she embraced on some level. Now, if if a person heard your story and heard what your mother said okay you can say well yeah it's her choice does that mean it what she yes. was saying and what she was doing was good for her or for her children or for women i would say no so it's not as simple as just saying well it's a choice because because there, yeah. are, there are things that people choose there are things that people have been indoctrinated into that are not just not good it's extremely harmful and it's not good for women
0: Absolutely. And you know, the other thing is that many of these things are not even choices. It looks like a choice. For Muslims mm. who are living in Muslim-majority countries, there is no choice, for sure not. Yeah. But for Muslims who are living in European countries, um, so Europe, in Europe, sorry, and, uh, or in America, there is a choice, but sometimes it looks like a choice. You know? Okay, mm. there may be a genuine choice where the parents are very secular, whatever, but that's a very rare case. Because, you know, often you don't hear about it. You know, you're not meant to talk. You're not meant to speak about the problems. Um, That's how you don't know. But because, for example, I don't know that I could go to the police for help because I was told I cannot, I should not talk about my life to other people, about my feelings. So you suppress those emotions. And can you imagine the the number of Muslim children who are indoctrinated in mosques? I mean, those people who went to join ISIS, they didn't join ISIS just because they woke up one day and said, oh, God, I will come to you. No, they, were, they met people in mosques. They came across people who told them all these things. Okay, they could have known better, of course. But not all of them had that choice. It lo- It is a choice, but it's a very... That's the only choice they were offered. Right. You know?
1: I often say there can be no freedom of choice if there's no freedom of thought. And for example, what happened yeah. in, in the situation you were in, you weren't allowed on any level to have any control over your life friends uh information reading um going out uh, so many basic things that allow you to have freedom of of thought and expand your mind and expand your social circles and if you don't have that how can you say a person is choosing anything you know yeah
0: for me you know i didn't choose a hijab my parents yeah. Told me from a young age, that's my identity. I didn't choose, um, basically I chose nothing because they chose for me and they mm-hmm. said it was my choice um, and I bought into it because I had nothing else. Um, well, that's the, no, that's the interesting no thing, choice. you
1: bought into it, right? I mean, that's there was a moment there where maybe I would have talked with that Yasmina and, I, and if I asked her, you know, is all this a choice, is this hijab a choice, is this lifestyle a choice, maybe you would have said yes, right?
0: You know, I, I, I would have said, and I actually did say yes, um, because I had at that time when I was on Twitter, I met somebody who I was, he was like an activist and he, we had a podcast talk and I was telling him, defending him, saying it's my choice, whatever. And in that moment, I was thinking, actually, it's not really, I've been made, I, I cannot really tell him my real thoughts because, um, how would I look? You know, uh, I'm gonna be seen as a traitor. I'm gonna be seen as, oh, I'm not pious. I'm not being a good Muslim. And um, I felt guilty for feeling these thoughts. You're made to be afraid of your own thoughts, of your own doubts. And um, I would, I could, I, mo- I most likely would have said yes at that time. Um, but deep down inside, I couldn't have told you my feelings because I couldn't have trusted you with my feelings because this is the fear that they teach you to be afraid. You know, when you look at the Hadiths, when you look at the Qur'an, the way they describe Kafirs, I mean, non-believers, the way they describe Christians and Jews, basically you cannot trust them. This is the thing, mentality. Um, so you cannot really know how I'm feeling. Um, you wouldn't know because I wouldn't tell you. I wouldn't trust you enough to tell you my feelings. Um, but the older I became, the more clearer it became to me that what my parents did was uh, a violation of every right. Um, And it's not right. And I cannot live my life like that. And uh, you know what? They learned a big lesson from me. I think my parents uh, are suffering to this day because I dishonored them, as they say. I shamed them. And, um, you know, I'm very content and very happy about that because... It's time that people like me, like other ex-Muslims, other people who are in situations, that we teach these people that this is how it works and this is what doesn't work. Um, that's the only way to, you know, you cannot preach to the sheep. Um, you have to show show it. And the way I show it is through my work, through my porn, you know?
1: <laughs> well, I mean, th- w- what you're doing now, I, I... We, we do, we do obviously really different things, but I love the fact that I've, I've had the opportunity just because I, we discovered each other so early. If not, I, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't probably follow, follow a person for porn, but I got to see you evolve in, in yeah. you know, in this, it, also like you were saying about me, that you got to see me evolve into this more mature and more professional manner online. And I got to see the same thing from you. And I, and I get to see that, you, you know, you're, you're doing what you love and you're doing it the best you can and that you love what you're doing and that's been also you know that that's been really inspiring and and i knew some of a little little bit about your your background but then i i I, just seeing everything you're doing and knowing that that contradiction in your background just really made me want to talk to you and get to know you more because if you know it's just been super busy but it's it's been a it's been fascinating and you're you're it's you're you've had the experience of being on the spectrum of a woman's experience all the way to the extremes. And yes,
0: that's thank yeah, you.
1: And it's, it's inspiring to, to hear from you because I think you have so much to say about sexuality and being a woman in a person who has been tied down and covered up to in the most extreme manner, pretty much existing on Earth and then liberating yourself again to the most extreme manner. I mean, yeah, you do nothing halfway, yes, Nina. <laughs> That's I love that.
0: You know, for me, I never leave a job unfinished. So <laughs> <laughs> no matter what is blowjob or whatever, I finish the job. <laughs> um, so <laughs> for me, thank you for your kind words. And um, that's, the, you know, I love to um, uh, show to people as well, you know, look. If you can have freedom, you only have to do. Stop thinking about it. Just do it. I'm enjoying my life. I'm leading my life on my terms. Um, and I'm very independent. And I've met some wonderful people. And there are, I, I get a lot of messages from Muslims, by the way, who watch my porn, who tell me, you know what, it's admirable what you're doing. I can't believe it. I would never be able to do what you're doing. But you have opened my eyes and I support you. So they secretly send me those messages supporting me, but they cannot openly support me. And then of course there's always the, the, those assholes too, who write to me. And then I engage and I'm like, you know what, I, I'm not going to be silent. I'm not going to be ashamed of who I am, take it or leave it. And what I would like to say too, is to those so-called fam, uh, fam, Muslim feminists, you know, they in terms of choice, you know, if you give somebody freedom, they will never return back to the caves. If you truly, if they're truly in a situation where they have freedom, nobody will go back to to the chains, to the ca- cage. For sure, not. Mm. That's the thing. For me, it was like this. You know, once you taste freedom, it's uh, it's a drug. Uh, you want more of it. You want to. You mold it. You shape it. You you start thinking about things that you never thought you thought were possible and um i'm I'm so happy that i that i've had those experiences even the bad experiences because i wouldn't be where i am without those experiences
1: you remind me of like the verses of the song from bob marley that i i always really like and it (laughs) you always always speaking to people like you, it always reminds me of the the verses where he says, emancipate yourself from mental slavery. None but ourselves can free our minds. And that's completely you. You emancipated yourself from mental slavery completely on your own and freed your own mind. Um, And it, it, it sounds, it was completely an independent action. And it sounds like nobody could ever really keep you down throughout your life. It sounds like you had that innate curiosity and skepticism the your whole life.
0: Yes, and um, it really continues. You know, um, my thoughts are more developed, um, more structured. I've learned new languages. I've learned so much more about myself. Met so many people from different cultures, um, and also, you know, more about the sexual side as well. Because you can truly, you are only truly free if you're sexually free. Uh, it's not just the mental aspect of it. So it's also the spiritual, physical uh, being as well that has to be free. Um, and it is a very, very hard and long fight, but you can, you should never give up. That's the thing. You know, for me, I have sometimes days where I'm like, Oh my God, what am I doing in my life? You know, I have those days of course. Um, but I fight it. You have to fight it. It's a constant struggle. And also, you know, I do get, as I said before, um, hateful messages and for me, they don't affect me. I see so many women getting affected just by some asshole writing, oh, you have small tits or whatever, you know? And then the next thing they do is get a surgery just because that guy said something. And for me, you know, I get these messages too under my my postings. And I'm like, you know what? I don't give a fuck. Um, keep watching my porn. Thanks for the views, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so that's it. <laughs> I don't take them seriously. I just love to play cat and mouse with a few of them. Um, but they cannot affect me. They cannot hurt me. And that's what makes them even more angry, especially the Muslim men.
1: Yeah, you know, there's something you said there that I, I feel like we could do like a three-hour podcast just on that is that is something I've talked about, but I have I never get really the chance to talk about it too much because you don't see it with a mainstream criticism of Islam too much. And that's the point that I think so many of the problems in fundamentalist Islam, and this could go for almost every religion that becomes fundamentalist and is practiced too orthodoxly, is the repression of sex. And you you don't, I mean, you're not going to hear too many mainstream, philosophical, intellectual critics of Islam and atheists get into the conversation that when they're talking about, oh, where, for example, when they talk about, oh, uh, what is the mental structure, you know, how how is it that we get suicide bombers or that we get terrorism or what, you know, what, why, why are these yeah. uh, societies so angry and it's always back to, well, Quran verses and philosophy and psychology. But I very rarely hear the, the, the reference, which I think is essential. And that is the repression of sex. And it could be maybe because I have my, my you know, I'm Hispanic and I live in Latin America that there is, I, I think, a, a more healthy attitude towards sex and being open about sex that maybe even these intellectuals still refrain from talking about it, or they don't consider it an intellectual exercise to bring it up. Perhaps I'm not sure, but I'm positive that that the repression of sex, both for men and women in, in, in the fundamentalist Islam or religion creates anger and creates resentment and creates Unstableness and, and and bad relationships between men and women and you know, if you if you teach boys since the day they're they're born that The, the you, you know you cover up the women where they can't even see them. They, they're told pornography is evil though They're told sex is evil You know if I had grown up like that and I think about like, you know, I I, I would hate myself anytime. I I, I I would have seen a pornography or a naked woman or, you know, and I, I had no chance of, of of seeing nude women. I probably would have blown myself up too. I think most guys would. It's not surprising. Like, and that's rarely talked about is that, you know, a, a lot of this has to do with not just being promised 72 virgins, but repressing men from sex and interaction with women. And then the only time they're told that they're going to have any interaction with women is in the afterlife. Like that's a Big deal. That's a that's a huge factor in why we see so much misogyny in these communities. And it's very unfortunate that it's not seen as an intellectual exercise to to dig in to the sexual repression side of it because I almost never hear about that. don't you agree like it's Uh, like you know, like you were talking about all the atheist intellectuals you've heard i mean how often do they say like is there a chapter in their book about just sex you know and you don't see that and i (laughs) i I don't i don't back away from that but i mean imagine also just repressing especially for men i'm sorry but men you just repress that sex like to nothing and men go psycho you know it's like it's there's a movie just about a guy who didn't who um I forget the name of the movie. I don't know if you saw it, but there's a movie about a guy who tries to go one month, I think, maybe two, without masturbating. And it shows him going slowly crazy. And I mean, that's really telling when there's a movie about a man just trying not to masturbate for a month and he loses his mind. Imagine these Muslim societies, right? Yeah. (laughs) Where it's just like this. You know, that's it.
0: You know, and in these Muslim societies, um, in Muslim societies, for example, you cannot, maybe in Europe, yes, but For example, in uh, Afghanistan or Saudi Arabia, you cannot be seen, only when you're maybe not in the country as a man, you cannot be seen having sex outside of your marriage because you may, you will also get punished. Maybe not as much as the woman, but you still get punished. You know, you will still, you still care about your image and the quote marks. Um, So yeah, when you grow up with this, uh, like, as I said, my mother, for example, she taught my uh more than my father did, by the way. Um, my brothers, look, it's okay to hit women. It's okay to do this and that. And I had seen my little, my youngest brother, going from the, the values that I taught him to treat people with respect, even though I was believing at that time, uh, to treat people with respect, be decent. He went from that angel to an asshole within just like one or two years. He was like nine years old and he was already swearing and hitting my youngest sister was trying to hate me uh because he 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 saw it's acceptable you know it's this cycle that continues uh you know it's not just of course women we go through more than men, but of course men in these societies too suffer um they cannot be happy you know uh being sexually suppressed means your personality is suppressed um you are expected to um marry as well um against you cannot you you have more of a choice, but still you are expected. Um, you have to be circumcised. Um, you have to, you know, like uh, there there are all these expectations as well, um, of guys. Um it's um it's a vicious cycle. They go hand in hand actually. That's how patriarchy works. Uh if it wasn't for uh that because it cannot be just positive for men in their perspective, even if in the long run they think, ah, okay um i will have sex with my wife whenever i want but they're not mentally happy they cannot be really they cannot be um and that's the thing and the other aspect is that the advantage that men have in islam in comparison to women maybe for other cultures not but in islam in particular you know men can marry up to four women and a woman cannot so he's got four different women to have sex with whenever he wants um, and he can divorce the one when he wants to whenever he wants to and marry another one that will be for again. And Muhammad, for example, he's the perfect example to look at. Not perfect in that sense, but under quote marks. Um, that if we want to see how Islam is, we just have to go to Muhammad. He had so many wives. He, had, he married and raped a nine-year-old. Because um, he, he was in that sexually suppressed society, and he says, hey, I'm a prophet. I can do whatever I want, you know, Um, and men in Islam think along those lines, Um, but of course in the long term, they will never be happy, and you know, when you look at um, some, uh, the stories of some ex-Muslim men, what they have gone through, what they were expected, you know, uh, to do, um, it's really sad what's going on, and um, that's the only way we can change it, we have to acknowledge both sufferings. And we have to say, no, enough is enough. And we have to stand together.
1: Definitely. Um, well, we've been talking for quite a while. And I don't wanted this video to yeah. be too long. Even though it's long, I think it was absolutely wonderful. You were Same, ama- yeah. amazing. Um, Thank I, you. I, I, you, too. I think there's a lot more we could talk about. So I'd love to have you on again. Um,
0: Definitely. And, you know, I really like this idea of talking about
1: the sexual repression in islamic
0: societies i think that's a really good topic
1: yeah let's and do that yeah.
0: i haven't come across that before
1: yeah i mean it, it's 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 not something that's delved into and it, and it should be there should be books just about that there should be papers just about that that should be a major topic and it's it's very unfortunate and and i think just your story highlights that aspect so much and you're the embodiment of of sexual liberation in a lot of ways (laughs) Um, thank you and yasmina ali is absolutely gorgeous she's wonderful you. you can hear that how intelligent and enlightened she is so uh please talk about your social media and where people can follow you
0: Um, thank you so much for having me on your podcast it has been a pleasure um and i look forward to doing this again so you can follow me on my twitter at yasmina model that's y-a-s-m-e-n-a model m-o-d-e-l and the same is for my instagram yasmina model so yeah those are the two platforms you can really find me on i'm very active on twitter
1: (laughs) awesome thank you yasmina for being on
0: thank you so much take care